You're listening to episode 234 of the Comic Spouse. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. You guys had enough of me doing the opening bit. I hired someone else. I'm bringing in Tyler. Tyler will now handle the opening bit. Wait, I, I thought this was a, a Muppets podcast. <laughs> there you go. Give them already better. Well, fine, we give a Muppets, Muppets joke. Uh, give us a Muppets uh, joke then. Um, Muppets um, joke. He already has his hand on my no, ass, so. Uh, no. There, there it is. <laughs> Marco, you've been doing the, the, bit, the bits the, a lot lately. I think you're, you're starting to get the hang of it, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, like, I like that we, we decide to outsource it, and all he does is come in and be like, you know what? It's already working. No problem. Thanks for the payday. Yeah. Yeah. Give me three hundred dollars. <laughs> That's what happens when you have a listener join the paid? show. <laughs> uh, no, you don't. Uh, okay, well, okay, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. so uh, of course Tyler is <laughs> formerly of the Long Box. Uh, now you can find him playing games such as World of Warcraft and Sea of Thieves. Oh yeah, I was playing Sea of Thieves recently. <laughs> yeah, the game's stupid. I love it. <laughs> it's so much I don't fun. Even know what it is? Uh, I joined. Um, I joined. So I joined with a whole bunch of randoms who just decided to talk in pirate speak. So I spent about three hours hanging out with some dudes talking like a pirate. Were you um, role playing? Can you give us a sample. So we were role playing, but like badly. Okay, come on, give us a little. Just a lot of like args and oh oh, <laughs> what did I? I kept saying how I had scurvy and the sores in me lips be killing me and stuff like that. <laughs> Is Sean still here? We're talking pirates. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Is that the yeah. first time you've ever laughed at a pirate? Um. Well, it was because you were you were look at look at me pirate. look at me changing opinions and feelings. Yeah, you're 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 the kind of guy who brings people together. Yeah, you best start believing in pirate podcast, Sean. You're no. in one. See, that <laughs> I don't want. I like that. It. I don't want that. That's I will leave good. over. Now Sean is definitely leaving. <laughs> yep, this is my last appearance on this podcast. I'm going to have to start a new one. It's the one, the um, Wire podcast, of course, right? Right. Yeah, I'm going to start a podcast about The Wire and uh, leave all you bozos behind. Oh, I will gladly do that. <laughs> really? I, the Wire is the best TV show of all time. Yes, hands, <laughs> hands two weeks in a row, hands down. Best. I, I feel like fun. you guys have a strong podcast coming. It's it's Sean, Tyler, and Ron V just talking about talking about the wire. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's like arguable though. Like I don't think you can argue against that. Even if you haven't seen the show, I don't think you can say it's not the best show of all time. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I can confidently say it's the best show of all time. Okay, yes. don't watch season two, but. Why um, not? You're already you, you're already you giving me caveats. It's the best show of all time. As long as you, how many seasons are there, Tyler? So, uh, five. five. So one fifth yeah, of it's yeah. bad, according to Tyler. No, no, it's not Se- bad. It's just different. Season two is jarring. But That's it's the word. Yeah, really yeah. good. Uh, okay. It took me a decade to figure out that it's good, but it's good. Um, anyways. <laughs> You would have told me four years ago that we we're going to split the podcast into two separate podcasts, and one of them would have been a Wire podcast, and the other would have been a Pirates Muppet podcast. I would have said, "Yeah, I believe that." Yeah, that sounds about right. Completely mm-hmm. possible. Plausible. Also, a Pirates Muppet podcast could actually work. <laughs> there is a whole Pirate Muppet movie. So, oh my god! I got <laughs> every week. You just uh, watch the movie again. <laughs> yeah, we're going to watch uh, Muppets Treasure Island uh, for the thirty-third time on the thirty-third episode. Will be one of those minute by minute uh, rewatch podcasts. Honestly, anyway, this is sounding better and better. <laughs> it's actually sounding worse and worse. So, okay, right. 
Uh, instead of talking about that, I do want to let you guys know that we've got a lot to talk about today. So, so much. Um, we've got the announcement, the huge announcement of Im- from Image about Skybound X. What could that be? Uh, a new big hit from Boom. We finally know the full lineup of the incoming X-Men title. And uh, Alfred Molina couldn't keep his mouth shut about Spider-Man 3 and him being Doc Ock. So lots of things coming uh, down the pipe. Exciting episode. Happy to have Tyler on. Uh, We're going to dive into all that shortly, but I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. Of course, we are the Comics Pals. If this is your first time joining us, thank you very much. I don't know why you would stick around after all that pirate talk, but if we roped you in, then you should go and check us out all over the place. Make sure that you are following us wherever it is that you listen to us. Subscribe if it's YouTube. Like the video. Share it with your friends. Write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Get us on social at thecomicspals. And if you want to continue the conversation with us beyond the show, you can join our Discord server where... You should avoid the Weeb Central channel. What? Yep. By, at all costs. Avoid it like the plague. Yeah. If you're a Weeb, okay, I guess. But if you're not, don't go there. If you get tagged, avoid it. You should actually mute that channel. <laughs> Sean, did they tag you in something? <laughs> What's even happened this week? What's the damage there? What what do you this is a person? I think fun. it's the I think it's the chainsaw man stuff. I saw all I know is I saw someone like was it like vomiting into someone else's okay, mouth? Yeah, it's the chain, something chain, really sick. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, that's where they. You're okay, right. so I just I you're just right. want to again, right? So all all three of you weebs, right? So like I love that Sean's like if you're like a normal person, don't go there. Be and you're all like, whoa, what, why, why? Oh uh, yeah, I saw someone throwing up in someone else's mouth. Oh yeah, sure, sure, that's normal. Yeah, right, like, that's there the every hell? week. No, no big Me. deal. It's That's a horror heavy. comic. I don't. What do you want? Not that. Not that. <laughs> like, I've never seen a horror movie where someone vomited into someone's it's mouth. It's pretty horrifying. Am I wrong? <laughs> yeah, but it's <laughs> sick. Like it makes me want to throw up, and that's not what I want. Into Sh- whose Sh- mouth? <laughs> Ugh, yours. Oh, no. <laughs> 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 Sean, just read some uh, Junji Ito. That, that's probably much more down your alley. I read um the the one the spiral one. Uzumaki. Uzumaki. Yeah, we did uh, that. Book it's book. not the whole. It's not his thing. The so. whole. It'll it was, fit you perfectly. Interesting, but I, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, what's the anthology one? Um, Gyo. Like you. Know, Gyo's one. It's like, there's there's one with a there's a whole story about uh, pimples. That's disgusting. Yeah, you should check <laughs> that. That's bad. For that. <laughs> uh, speaking of book clubs, we've got a lot of them. We launched the Invincible Book Club uh, for last mm-hmm. month. This month. We are going to be reading Sam Wilson, Captain America by Nick Spencer with a splash of Rick Remender's all new Captain America. Uh, both titles, of course, starring Sam Wilson in the titular role. Uh, I love that era of Marvel. I know a lot of people don't, but I think Nick Spencer was doing work and things were really cool and different. So I can't wait to talk about that book. Uh, you guys have a couple of weeks still to jump on board if you want to read along with us for that book club. That'll be dropping on the last Tuesday of the month, whatever that date is. 27. And, uh, there you go. Yeah, if you guys are enjoying Falcon Winter Soldier as much as we are, I think you'll really enjoy that book club. Yes, definitely. Uh, a lot of the themes that get dealt with on that show uh, come up during the run. So 
yeah, it'll be right up your alley if you if you dig that show, which a lot of people are being weird about. I don't know. Uh, there's been like a lot of hate about that show. But, They're crazy uh, and more importantly, wrong. It's it's funny. Like I had um I had a real like duality of man moment on Twitter like that where I was like scrolling through my feed and I just saw like one person being like just just absolutely demolishing the show and like it's politics and then someone else being like I can't believe how well executed well paced and tight this and it's just right on top of each other so I was like I guess I guess the consensus is split on this one Tyler are you watching oh yeah yeah I mean just for that book club I mean that's what uh Stuart Eminen and then Daniel Cunha was uh was he the one doing the expensers yeah Daniel Acuna for sure I think he starts the run and Stuart Eminem did the all new with yes. Remender, yep. which that was amazing. Two, like, two of like the best artists that I could think of. Um, yeah, good I, stuff. I hate Daniel Acuna's work. Really? Wow. Uncanny Avengers, man, check that out. No, Beautiful. Oh my god, Some good stuff. Oh, when's that book club? Call me for that one, dude. That whole like uh, Remender kind of seeding his whole story throughout a whole bunch of books during that time. Mm-hmm. That's good shit, and then it fizzles out with axes. But Ooh, that was bad. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it, yeah. it seemed like Remender uh, fizzled out with axes too. So yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. Was there, that was that was the result of editorial just completely crapping on what he was trying to do. Uh, it, it wasn't supposed to be an event. It was supposed to be like a story within his books. And they were like, oh, this is great. Like, let's do an event out of it and add all these characters that you had no intention of talking about. And then it became a mess. I would love like a like a documentary style like series where like just talk about like these horrible things that have an editorial like behind the scenes <laughs> of comic books. Like Dark Side of the Ring, except for uh for comics. That, that would be great. great. <laughs> that would be so many good stories. <sighs> yeah. I feel like a lot of them aren't composited in one place either and just like it's all so, kind of scuttlebutt you see uh yeah. on the internet and stuff that would be real real cool all i'm saying is like howard the ducks creation and stuff like that yeah of course yeah. i was gonna you say have, we gotta get just, we gotta get the movement started you know hashtag release the remender cut you just have to bring up howard the duck anytime you come on this podcast somebody has to yes he's I holding do. up his howard the duck I doll do on on yeah. you for youtube like whoa whoa not a doll yeah, action, that's figure. action no that's oh, that's a doll that's this is pretty much sorry a doll. uh yeah, yeah. No, please when, when, it, when you're an adult you just you call it a, a collectible plush uh and that's uh, how yeah, you distance yourself yeah. from the fact that it's a doll collectible pl- okay i'm not even gonna comment <laughs> that sounds um, sexual so instead we're gonna get into the listener comments uh we've got uh, we got a few about the Rom V interview. You guys were really excited about that. Thank you for the feedback. Pete, take it away. This one comes from William B on the Rom V interview over on YouTube and said, I hope that podcast is happening. There can never be enough discussion about The Wire. Two weeks in a row, the people have spoken. They want The, the Wire podcast. Well, William B, uh, you've got to be very happy now because we've got another uh you know believer in the wire and tyler so that's three people this this could this could happen what what would you call it sean mm. we watch the wire obviously <laughs> oh yeah that's right. down to the yeah, wire that, that, no i feel i feel like you gotta anything. you gotta have a pun you know like there's so much you no. can do with the wire you, gotta take a lyric the from the theme. Theme. you don't do puns about the wire okay all right fair enough 
You know what? Well, I'll have to learn that when we do our wire show because that'll be my. I'll be the fresh, the first watch along. I'll watch along and send in reader mail to you experts. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I was gonna say you. You couldn't be on. No, I can't. I can't come and talk about the show if I haven't seen it. Clearly, it's the show yeah. of our age. But you know, oh, hey, but hold on. It's not Riverdale. <laughs> That's true. Oh God, That's true. <laughs> All right, this next one comes from. Wait, hold on, Pete. Sorry, just a quick shout out to William B. If if you're the same William B. from the SoundCloud, thank you very much for following us on YouTube now as well. Appreciate the the continued support on that front. Thank yeah, you. thank you, William. And if you're not, you can fuck right off. <laughs> oh my God, I yeah, know when he threatens our listeners. I want everyone to just tweet at Toto and Toe and tell them to just fuck off. All right, like let's That's- just. Cyborg Bebop C Y B O R G B E B O P. Tell him. Okay. Uh, this next one comes from EMXG on that same episode over on YouTube and says, "Underrated channel. Thanks for the great content. Cheers. Thanks so much. Thank man. you. Appreciate it. We are underrated. Really nice. We really are. You're overrated. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of us, though, we could stand a bump." Uh, this one came uh, to the email, so again, you can write into us at thecomicspals at gmail.com, just like Mitchell did, and uh, they said, wanted to send a note to express my gratitude and enthusiasm for the recent Swamp Thing content. All right, sorry, the recent The Swamp Thing content. The interviews with Mike, Person- Mike Perkins and Rom V, the review episodes and uh, of the first two issues, hype. I'm one of those annoying nerds that can honestly proclaim, well, I have read every Swamp Thing story, all 576 <laughs> issues. That's a real number. I have a spreadsheet. <laughs> Whatever, Mitchell. <laughs> that's your real name. I, I read the phone. Marco, this is your burner <laughs> account, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and... I am hot for what Mike Perkins and Rom V are doing. I could not be more pleased with their direction. Mike's perfect tonal fit for the content. Rom finally moving us away from Alec Holland, treating Swamp Thing as the Swamp Thing, the protector of the green, the guardian for all of Earth, not just the Louisiana Bayou. It's super overdue, and I'm all about it. Thank you so much for the great content. I'm really hoping that you will uh, continue to give this series the same attention that you did Hoxpox back in the day and continue to follow and review the series as a developer develops that is what brought me to y'all's podcast to begin with and i never stopped listening well mitchell i have bad news no i have good news kale's fired we're gonna read every episode of the or every episode we're gonna review every issue of the swamp thing great news are are we sure there's not a postscript that says marco's the best pal or something like that no yeah i think it's in white text if you highlight it you can see (laughs) That so that actually makes me think that we should go back and watch the Swamp Thing show because Marco and I oh. reviewed. We did the review right for the first two episodes. Two episodes yeah. yeah, yeah. We should go back and finish that. Dude, one. I'll do it. Go, it's, go, it's go further, further back. Go further back. Watch the yeah, original movie. Watch the movies. Watch the, the movies. No. Yes. And the animated episode, the television show. Look, guys, we got like a whole month or so gap between the end of Invincible and Loki. Like, we got to fill up. We watch with something. Dude. Let's watch all this legacy Swamp Thing content. That cartoon show's theme song, which is just a riff on Wild Thing. Yeah. Fantastic. No, it's not. It is. No, it's not. It's a hundred percent is. It's a parody cover of Wild Thing. That's all it is. Jesus. That sounds fucking terrible. We gotta watch that. Oh, it's absolutely. (laughs) We really don't. There was a DC campaign where he would come out of like the swamp and tell people not to litter. (laughs) That's good. Like PSAs from the swamp thing. I love that. I hate that. Um, <laughs> thanks so much, Mitchell. This yeah, thanks, uh, right, this this was a really cool email to to see. Um, you know, 
we don't know what you guys necessarily want to hear unless you write in and tell us. So doing things like the Mike Perkins and the Rom V, those are things we're doing for ourselves because we like it. And we only hope that you guys also like it and you respond. So knowing this is encouraging and it's emboldening and it means that you're going to get what you want. Like we're going to continue to do those reviews and we will have Rom V back certainly for season two. Um, if the book gets to push it deserves. So, you know, uh, if you're listening to this and you have thoughts you want to share, it really, really does mean a lot when you share them. And it means that if you have requests or whatever, we're going to do them. Like we literally have a backlog of book clubs to do uh, from requests on our discord that we're like trying to work through, but they're, they're like, it's backed up. Um, so yeah, we, we appreciate it. Yeah, so guys, keep, keep asking them to do a uh, Grant Morrison's doom patrol book club, you know, just keep, keep, keep doing that because uh, I definitely can't yeah. recommend things after Howard the Duck anymore. So no, see, I was going to say, I feel like they got to start campaigning for us to watch the Howard the Duck movie to do the swamp thing. Watch along. Oh, if like, you do a Howard the Duck movie thing, literally, I will be on that instantly. Oh, bro, we did. That was our first watch along, dude. Really fucking funny. Did you record anything for it? No, no. Marco just, just did a watch along. Marco just Wait, did. Where was Tyler? We, uh, I think you got, I think you got busy or something. Something. Came yeah, out. I well, remember. I remember the watch long. We but, should do yeah. it like officially on Twitch, like what we do with the Snyder Cut. Because I mean, I that's like after the Snyder Cut, what could you possibly follow it up with? But Howard the Duck. <laughs> See some sweet duck titties in that one. So, oh god, no. there's right. the poll quote for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's the new name of this episode: sweet duck titties. You know, that that has to have been a long box one. Get, you guys get, definitely do no, get no, us to Matt's question. All right, all right. Speaking of speaking of the long box, <laughs> yeah, this one comes from uh, Matt Murphy over on the Discord. Uh, and Matt wrote in and said, with Attack on Titan, arguably the most popular comic slash manga franchise right now worldwide, ending its 12 year publication last week. There's a question of what next? Do you think the next major comics franchise to reach worldwide popularity can come from the U.S.? Or does American comics not have the reach that manga does? In this context, I don't mean big two comics, because while the MCU is one of the most popular, that fandom does not translate into comic sales. Yeah, uh, so I, I clarified the question um, with him. He, he wants it to sort of satisfy both the print aspect as well, or like the comic sale aspect, as well as multimedia. The, the multimedia, yeah. I definitely don't think Western comics have the reach manga does. Like, I was thinking about how One Piece, for example, is the third highest selling comic book of all time next to Batman and Superman, and it's only been coming out since 1998. Uh, that's mental. So, I have to imagine the next giant, you know, global appeal book slash like adaptation TV show anime or whatever is got to be from Japan, probably. I think it's not impossible for it to come from the West or, or specifically America. Um, you look at The Walking Dead, right? Like that is kind of the Western example of uh, an indie comic having that breakout success and becoming a multimedia thing that's like larger than life. But I don't think that that's as easy um, with American comics because I think like when you look at manga, like there's kind of there's an established pipeline, right? Like if a manga is really popular, it's like it, it kind of goes without saying that it will get an, an anime adaption at some point, you know, like that's that's kind of par for the course. And like, I'm not saying that it's like one for one, but like 
I can't think of uh, a manga that was so popular that me as like a non-manga reader was aware of it that hasn't gotten an anime adaption except for Chainsaw Man, which got announced, right? Like there's an anime coming. So I, I feel like because of that, it's kind of, I, I don't want to say easier, but I feel like because there's kind of that expectation and that natural evolution from like very popular manga series to anime and then that gets translated and then it goes worldwide. Yeah. I think that it just um manga's a little more multimedia friendly rather than like when you do have the indie comic there is kind of like that we're going to shop it around and you know maybe it gets adapted is it a good adaptation, you know, is it going to be live action, is it going to be a movie, is it whatever. And I don't know. I feel like because the one-to-one path isn't so clear, it's way, way easier for it to like end up in development hell or come together and not really be something that is as appealing to a mass audience. Also, it kind of feels like there's like already a manga slash anime that's on its way to being like massive. I feel like I've heard nothing but like I've heard so much about Jujutsu Kaisen this year, which already feels like it's becoming giant. I feel like I'm hearing a lot about Demon Slayer too, which is like yeah. not new, but I feel like it's getting popular in a way that it wasn't, you know, like in terms of print too, like I just think the manga format's more accessible. Like for Western audiences, which Western comics hasn't fully adopted yet. Like just the digest, you know, price points, like especially like big two comics or even like you're looking at like image or boom or stuff like that. They don't do the same thing that manga does. I don't, I don't think that there's a chance it could be a Western comic oh, yeah. because first of all, the, the bare bones minimum price you're going to pay for a comic book these days in general is like $4. Yeah. And that's crazy. Yeah. Um, especially if it's like, if it's a hot book, it's it's going to be four to five bucks um and that's not like that automatically disqualifies it but then beyond that i genuinely think and this is partially inspired by what rom v was saying last week i genuinely don't think that western storytelling is translating well across the world uh anymore i think that a lot of this like even if you think about the biggest hits we have here um like a walking dead right does that have a global audience that rivals uh any of the manga that are super popular like attack on titan no it's a big tv hit here in this country but beyond that eh. um and i think you can say the same thing about everything that we do um but our superhero stuff or like star wars or whatever but even then he added the caveat that it has to be a, a hit in comics and that's never going to happen. There's yeah. not going to be a Marvel or DC comic that just shatters records and translates across the whole world. It's just, it's no. So much would have to change. Well, I what? think you identified a really good uh, wrinkle in the conversation too, Sean, where I think that like with the manga examples, it's generally, um, it's like a, a grassroots thing, right? Like the book becomes naturally popular because the book is good and there's word of mouth and it whatever and then it kind of makes the jump whereas like with uh, american comics right like with the walking dead example the walking dead became a phenomenon when it became a tv show it wasn't so popular it needed to become a tv show 
Yes. Uh, I also think, though, like to that, that the kinds of stories that we tell don't like people outside of the West don't necessarily care about that. Whereas because they're very focused on on like us, um, whereas it seems like a lot of the stories that come from manga that come from these other places have ideas that translate across the world or are so interesting and unique that you can't help but look at it. And it's so accessible that there's no barrier. Like you could go on a website right now and just read it. And oh my God, it's amazing. And then go watch the anime. Oh my God, it's amazing. And now you're hooked. Well, and the, uh, the, the ex, um, the, the way there's so much manga for, uh, anybody, you know, there's, there's men's manga, there's women's manga, there's girls manga, there's boys manga. Uh, there's gross boys manga. Like there's so much manga that there's, you know, ex, ex, it's accepted as part of the culture. Whereas comics, while the content has been more accepted than the actual format has. Mm. And I think that also, you know, uh, hampers uh, our sensibilities for what stuff can be. We talk about all the time on the show how you know superheroes and uh, superhero media is obviously it's a global phenomenon at this point. Avengers movies and, and the likes do very well in countries like China and stuff, but you know it, it quite hasn't quite translated to comic books themselves. People aren't you know buying them in droves or anything like that, and it seems like um, it's funny, Pete. You always talk about how comic books are one of those great American art forms like jazz music or whatever, but. <laughs> it's still very niche, you know. Yeah, but I mean, so is jazz right now, right? Yeah. Um, to the to the format question, or like the the point that Tyler and Kale raised, I think it also, at least for me, stands to reason that a lot of webtoons would potentially be like transitioned into because there's been a lot of television adaptations, K drama adaptations already that um, are growing more and more popular, like. Korean television is leaning a lot more heavily on a lot of that content. And that's quickly becoming a really predominant form of reading comics um, as like published by, um, I think that it's mostly within like the Korean Japanese space right now, but that's like a format that is easy to scroll through on your phone. Um, It's adapting and born out of mobile accessible literature that I think has like, uh, further um, has has more accessibility because you just have it on your phone. You don't have to go necessarily somewhere. And that obviously depends on whether you want it in that physical or digital format. Um, but there's just like a lot of flexibility to it, so much so that there's interest in it outside of just its uh, its comics format. Very interesting question. Uh, we obviously all pretty much agree on the answer, and, and I think that it's kind of a bummer. Uh, at least for me, I would love for you know our comics to translate that way, but there's so much work that has to be done for that to be possible. And I think even if even if American comics adapted to that type of model, I still don't think it would happen. Um, I just don't think we're there. And uh, we have a special guest for you Sorry. YouTube viewers. Yep. Uh, that's quite all right. Tyler's cat. This is Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge. 
Nice. <laughs> I see no visor. Uh, he had his collar. He had like a the Starfleet yellow gold collar, but uh, he grew out of it. So he he kind of reminds me of that cat from. Um, Is he just gonna sit there. He's gonna just sit there. <laughs> uh, that that cat from Men in Black. Oh, totally. okay. <laughs> I don't even that, think they look alike. But. He's got that like cat a cat that's a ginger. Yeah, ginger cat. He's ginger. Thing. I feel like yeah. I remember yeah, him being black and white too. Maybe yeah. I'm thinking of a different movie with a different weird cat. <laughs> Maybe yeah. the cat from Captain know. Marvel, black and white. Which is funny because I sort of went, so I was born uh, two months premature. So when I was born, I looked like that little alien from Men in Black that's in that guy's face. There you go. Um, I mean, I ah, disgusting. I mean. Who owned the the man in black cat? So this, this I was tracks. really wondering where that was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, I don't think anyone said you stopped looking like him. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's got a little bigger. That's all. Let's let's get into the pals polls. Thank you, Matt, for the question. Appreciate it always, man. Uh, so from Tyler, we've got Black Knight: Curse of the Ebony Blade, number yes. two. Let's go. Yeah. So I like kind of B C list Marvel characters. Like that's my shit. Like I'm a big Thunderbolts fan, like the superior foes of Spider-Man. And Black Knight's always one of those characters where like I want to know more about him. Like yeah, I can read like the the older Avengers runs and shit, but I need like a modern take on it. And and size goes by Simon Spurrier now um is doing this and he's given a real good voice to Black Knight. There was a King and Black miniseries and this kind of spun out of that. Um where I've been really enjoying Sizeberger's work recently, especially with Constantine and Coda. Um, yeah, this is this is fun stuff because uh, Black Knight turns out he's kind of a fuck up, and uh, it's interesting. It's really fun. I always wanted to get into this character. I remember when they tried to get him over a few years ago. I remember there was that big push. They had a a Black Knight book. There was the yeah. Hyperion Squadron Supreme stuff that they had done, like 2016, 2015. And that book was pretty rough um, yeah this is so. fun this is real fun um and it, i mean they also, they also have to start pushing him now that uh he's showing up in the mcu so yeah kid harrington right yeah yeah you gotta yeah. imagine that's oh, what? gonna yeah that's gonna help him get over <laughs> yeah. but it, like his design is just awesome like yeah. the fact that this guy was like an avenger like it just doesn't fit with the aesthetic um but it's fun. It's they, addre- fun. they address it. And I, I think that was super mm-hmm. interesting about like how he integrates. Uh, yeah. I, I've been enjoying this book. Uh, like it's only the one issue in, but Sai recently has been doing a lot of good stuff. Cool. Uh, you also chose mighty Valkyries. Number one. Yeah. So I've been pretty much following Jane Foster's story in the Aaron sec, uh, Jason Aaron section of, of the Marvel universe since the beginning of his door run. And this is kind of a, a, I guess evolution of it. She's, you know, now leading the Valkyries. Um, and this is written by Jason Aaron and Torin Gronbrek. Um, it's, hmm. it's fun. So it's actually bringing in multiple different Valkyries. It's Jane Foster. It's um, the other, like the, the Valkyrie everyone, everyone thinks of and a new one that kind of is more in line with the MCU one. So um, I think Danny Moonstar was also in the previous King and Black miniseries. I guess I just read all the King and Black miniseries uh, sh- uh, offshoots. So, are you feeling there, it, King it, and Black? I, I think I'm feeling like the the side stories more than I am the main story. Hmm. I feel like where were there delays because I I feel like it's didn't run running real slow. But holy shit, yeah, King and Black yeah. has been going on forever. Yeah, yeah, it's been going on for a while. It's good, but it's a little long in the tooth. Uh, but yeah, these these books are fun. Figured I'd bring some eyes to it since uh, 
maybe not the most popular of characters, but yeah, it's fun stuff. Cool. Uh, so from Kale, we've got many deaths of Lila Star number one. Let's go. So this is uh, Ron V's new one. We talked about it a little bit last week. Um, we got a sneak peek of it uh, thanks to Image. And man, I dug the hell out of this book. Um, the uh, the premise is that the 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 goddess what is it the hindu goddess of death yeah. uh decides to try and kill like the next coming of something or other the, the next apocalypse or Ooh. i don't know something there basically there will be no more death so death is out of a job um and so she becomes someone else to try and hunt down this child who will bring this on. And it's, uh, it's not what you think it will be. And it's, uh, weird and cool. You know, this is a tough economy when death loses a job, you know, <laughs> you'd think she'd be doing tremendous. Oh, uh, all right. And, and Ron V, uh, didn't, he didn't mention this and I wasn't aware of it, but this book has, it's already a, a pretty big hit. Um, it's it's doing really well in terms of the uh, the pre-orders. So mm-hmm. uh, congrats to the team over there at Image. No, um, this is a boom book. Boom, sorry, boom. Uh, Ultra Mega number two, Kale and Pete. Now this is an Image book. Yeah, yes. hang on. Let me say. It. Let me try that again. Now this is an Image book. There you go. Uh huh. I freaking loved Ultra Mega 2. And guess what? We got a sneak peek. Oh, no, wait. I already said that. I loved Ultra Mega number one. We got a sneak peek of Ultra Mega number two. There you go. And guess what? It's dope as hell. Just the same. Um, the story is really cool. I'm really excited to see where it's going. Um, the uh, James Heron's art is just, it is out of this world. Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing that's that... Um kept my attention from the first issue like i i definitely enjoyed it i was a little cooler on on the first one than um than kale and phil were uh because the the story felt like it's it's basically kind of like a prologue um which super valuable i think for like setting you in the world um but i i kind of was eager uh to see where things were going to be going into um and yeah the art is just like next level like if you like the kind of like more um underground comics with an x kind of vibe like it's got a little bit of that flavor to it um and just great great colors too that first issue is really sick uh in more ways than one the the villains just i mean in both um one and two are the distillation of exactly what kaiju and like common writer villains should be mm. which are like weird crosses of people and animals like bat hyphen man or spider hyphen man or <laughs> the king lizard yeah and they, he just he he does it so well there's a, a a new villain that's uh clearly gonna rise up in number two and he is so cool so uh for marco we got haha number four yeah, so this is a, an anthology series by um, was it Maxwell Maxwell Prince, um, and 
he has rotating artists on the series. So I think this issue is Gabriel Walta. So I've been looking forward to, to oh. this issue. I love his art, and especially when he does horror stuff, I think it's really interesting. Um, and the anthology is very similar to anybody who's been following his um, Ice Cream Man uh, in, in the sense that it's sort of disparate stories, but all sort of centered, centered around some sort of theme related to clowns. Uh, not always clowns, but most of the time. Kind of adjacent, yeah. Yeah, kind of adjacent because they had like a mime issue and uh, it's it's all just really well done. Uh, I, I I really like the work that he's put out previously and for him to now do this with that rotating cast where previously it was just with Martin Marazzo. This is a really interesting concept and something that I, I hope he continues to do with other variations because he puts out some really wacky and sometimes like heartfelt but fucked up stuff yeah, there's a there's a shintaro kago variant for this that is horrifying yeah um i'm also like clown averse um i've been reading this strangely but yeah this is this is good stuff yeah it's really good yeah. Clown averse, uh, but phil's here uh, <laughs> glad you overcame your fears tyler i can do it i can do it uh marco and phil both chose love sickness volume one Oh. Yeah, Marco and I love that sick shit. Junji Ito, bro. Like, I, that's all I got to say. You're sold. You're buying it. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the little description says it's an innocent love becomes a bloody hell in another superb collection by Master of Horror, Junji Ito. <laughs> innocent love becomes a bloody hell. That's my love story, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at the at the cover of this, it's like his typical watercolors, heavy shadows. It's just this woman menacingly looking at you in the face with this stare. Um, and my love life. <laughs> I'm literally ordering this as we speak. I forgot this go. is coming out. Oh, <laughs> Marco, we're great salespeople, buddy. Look yeah, at that. Man. Right. We got one sale already, guaranteed. Three sales actually on this show. Uh, yeah, I'll get it. Four. There you go. Come on, Pete. I won't. All right, All right. I'll get it. Fine. Yes. Hire us, people. Marco and I will promote your books. We won't say much, but come on. You can't say no to these faces. <laughs> Pete's probably not going to get that, but what he will get is Radiant Black number three. That is a truth fact. Um, Radiant Black has been interesting. It's like, it's definitely been slow. Um, I think I've been the one who's like the most willing to give it rope because it keeps drawing uh, comparisons both in marketing copy and, you know, in the way it's been talked about um, from the creative team to Invincible, which was also a book that took a while to really get to the good shit. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm still on the ride. Like I I, I want to see this arc through and see where you know um, Higgins and Coward are driving to. Uh, and this is also one that we got an advanced copy of. So if you want to check out our review on Wednesday, please do. I'm gonna be really curious to hear what you think about this issue, Pete, because um, I felt differently. And yeah, I'm looking forward to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, well, they'll have to they'll have to tune in and uh, hear our thoughts. Do we know if this is like building a much bigger superhero universe? I know Image has tried that multiple times. They talked about, the, and they've been talking about kind yeah. of doing it again. Yeah. Um, and this is like one of several superhero books that are kind of like newly coming out from, you know, bigger or up and coming talent. So it kind of seems like that's what they're driving towards. Yeah, I know there's like the, the, the red version of this book coming out. Uh, I forget the name of it, but there's like a... She gets introduced, I think, in issue one, um, yep. and she's getting a book. Yep. Um, I'm just waiting to see if Savage Dragon kind of gets lumped into here as well. Although that's kind of like a weird kink sex book now, but, you know. Um, it's just the era. 
Oh, wait, Savage Dragon is very different now. <laughs> Just uh, message Matt. I'm sure he'll be able to talk to you about that. <laughs> I still owe him a read-through of it. Good luck. Uh, and then, <laughs> finally, Phil and I chose Way of X, number one. And Phil is unavailable to speak about that, so I will. Uh, you know, look, you, you, you tell me that Nightcrawler is starting a religion. And I say, okay, I buy. That's that's it. You yeah. know, we don't really <laughs> need to know a lot more than that. Um, but then also it's Simon Spurrier, and he's got the hot hand. We just talked about that. Um, this is the most anticipated book, at least on this podcast, as it relates to all of the new uh, X books that have come out this year. So, uh, yeah, we're there, and we'll be reviewing it. Can't wait. Sean, were you a uh, Nightcrawler player on the X-Men arcade game? Uh, that's hilarious. No. Really? I okay. was a primarily a Cyclops or a Same. Colossus because of his crazy special that I love to Fair spam because I wanted to hear it. But I will tell you this. In every other X-Men game, I only pick Nightcrawler. Okay. So in the right. Sega X-Men games, mm-hmm. Nightcrawler's broken. He's stupid because he can teleport. And that was my guy. It's so you brought up the the Colossus special. I have a sign up on um the wall up on my my stairs that uh I took from Magfest a few years ago because there's like a thing at Magfest where people will do the Colossus scream, and if you just go like oh like anywhere around you, <laughs> other people will respond with the yell, and it's like a, it's a thing at Magfest. Uh, and there are areas where like they have panels and stuff and they have these signs where it's Colossus doing the scream with a big red X around it. And it says, instead, please consider. And it's just a picture of Nightcrawler like sneaking by. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Hilarious. This book looks so good. Um, and, you know, uh, we've complained about the Hickman stuff kind of really dragging out the answers of what's going on in Krakoa and the way the book is described uh addressing the dark mysteries of the x-men's new way of life uh with my favorite x-men character like this is the most hyped of uh i don't even know what phase of x-men books run at this point two or three that yeah i am into it the other yeah. characters mentioned in this list it's two are great it's a pixie blink and dr nemesis and i love dr nemesis dr <laughs> nemesis is awesome yeah uh and blink i've loved blink for a really long time and she just does not get yeah. shine that i thought she would when i was a kid yeah she does nightcrawler's job but better <laughs> uh i do want to quickly throw out that we are going to be reviewing radiant black 3 and ultra mega 2 so you guys can check that out on wednesday and then for uh for this week we reviewed uh spider shadow which is the new what if book uh, we took a look at Proctor, Valley Road, and Batman Detective. So uh, lots of good stuff review-wise. And uh, yeah, let's jump into the news. So uh, we're going to kick things off with probably the, the weirdest story. Uh, Image announced Skybound X. Hmm. And basically what this is going to be, of course, is a celebration of 10 years of skybound it's going to be a five issue series that's going to come out weekly um but that's not the interesting part about this the interesting part about it is that it's going to feature 
Rick Grimes. Um, that Just that's, won't let that dead dog die. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't even. I don't even. I don't get that. Um, Sean, his movie's coming out soon, so. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. His movie was coming Corporate out. Synergy, you're forgetting. Allegedly. Yeah, true. Um, it's going to feature Rick Grimes. It's going to feature Clementine from the, the Walking Dead video game from Telltale, which is pretty cool. Love that game. Um, I never played it. But it's also going to feature stories um, in like from, from Assassination and Excellence and Manifest Destiny and um uh what's the book we just talked about um ultra mega oh okay oh i didn't know that that's interesting yeah yeah so that makes sense um, it is a skybound book right exactly sure um so really interesting now i have a question i i feel dumb that i don't know this but if you look at the the images that they released the covers Mm -hmm. who's the dude with the lightsaber I think that might be Rick. <laughs> um, yeah. Really? He's wearing like a superhero costume. Yeah. So um, if you look at the 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 uh, press release, it actually kind of gives a little bit of, of information uh, where it says, um, each issue of this oversized weekly series will kick off with a new chapter of the serialized The Walking Dead story, Rick Grimes 2000. Uh, and um, it's actually contextualized on the, the Skybound thing. It says that this is a story that was originally introduced in the back of The Walking Dead issue 75. And uh, it was actually like a troll story. Um, Robert put like a short like little story that was basically like an alternate universe version of The Walking Dead where Alien showed up because he had made a joke in the back matter of The Walking Dead in the early days of it. He's like, oh, you know, like, I don't I don't know how long the book's going to go. Like, maybe we'll get to issue 75 and I'll run out of ideas and fuck the whole thing up by introducing aliens. So he did that as kind of like a joke and a nod to the fact that the book had gotten that long. So now seemingly we're going to actually explore that universe and, you know, and I guess what, what would go on there. That's really funny. Huh. All right. Uh, The other thing that's really cool about this is that it's going to feature an all-star cast of creators. Um, So Ryan Otley and Robert Kirkman are teaming up once again. Let's Uh, go. The band is back. I don't don't understand this. I don't know how Ryan Otley can do this. I'm not sure where his contract is at with Marvel, but um, that's interesting. He's taking Um, time off from Spider-Man right now, right? Because... Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. not. Yeah, he's not been working on Spider Man. Yeah, I think, um, I think more, his end more is, than usual. No, I, I think he's yeah. done with it. Yeah, like I think I think he officially is no longer on it. But he is working on another Marvel project. Yeah, so I'm not. Yeah. I don't. I don't really understand how he's allowed to do this. But maybe there was something in the contract. Whatever. Uh, Donny Cates, uh, Joshua Williamson. That's that's a pretty big name. Uh, Chip Zdarsky, um, Daniel Warren Johnston. So. Um, a lot of a lot of heavy hitters are going to be working on this project, um, and it's going to start July seventh. So, what do we think about this? I mean, for me, like I, I think it, it kind of like it doesn't really matter, right? Like, it, it definitely seems like it's like this All is right. like this is a goofy, <laughs> silly like celebration kind of thing, right? Like, I, I'm not going into this expecting it to be like. Um, this incredible, you know, grounded, groundbreaking story. Like, I think it's very much going to be like 
a big dumb fun crossover event and i think if it can kind of like tap into the same energy that i i connected with um with like like dark knights uh death metal i think it could be fun um because like i i don't um you know, like kale made the comment right of like 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 drudging up uh rick grimes again and like that's not something that like i'm interested in in earnest right like i wouldn't really want robert to be like oh like i'm gonna do a mini series about rick like set in the timeline somewhere we've never explored that would i would rub me the wrong way whereas this is like so stupid and over the top that it's like all right, yeah. Show me where you got the schlock. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and like, Robert likes to have fun with schlock. So like, yeah, if he's got a dumb thing to do here uh, with Ryan, I think it, it could be fun. Yeah, he- I, this this is interesting for me. I think just on the creative teams, um, mm-hmm. I would love to see more Dan- Danny Warren Johnson, James Harrod, Tilly Walden's could be doing some stuff. So like, I'm interested in in the creators. I don't have any uh, any affinity for the the books necessarily but if it's going to be something that's fun that's like no risk related to the story i'm, I'm in just to see how what these um creators can sort of showcase and one of the cool things i see about this too is like they're introducing new books through this as well right. and characters um, that said yeah yeah which i which i like that idea it's kind of like this it's kind of like it almost reminds me of like those like shonen jump magazines you would mm. get where like it's like oh you get all these different flavors of things you can try yeah you know um which i don't think western comics do which they really should i think dc did it for a while and you get you know like previous catalog but like nothing like this where there's actually some meat in it uh, but i think like anchoring that with the walking dead is smart because it's a cash cow you know mm-hmm. yeah these stories do they really matter i mean it kind of reminds me of like the negan story they did in i think it was like an image book that was similar to this or like the michonne story they did in playboy um yeah uh yeah that happened um we're like it's just like yeah look i read playboy for the comics all right guys relax (laughs) michonne's entire like backstory was done in playboy but it was reprinted in thinking like issue 100 or something like that they did uh they did a single of it yeah yeah, afterwards too yeah it was free comic book day thing maybe i no negan's i think was free comic book day but that was a similar thing where it was originally in some magazine or whatever but like using the walking dead as like the anchor to showcase all these other characters like manifest destiny is a good book it's a gorgeous book but like it's Mm -hmm. not the walking dead in terms of popularity so like being able to like introduce that through this i think is really smart so uh, pete used the word crossover but this is more like an anthology sort of showcase kind of a that's thing. what it seems like it doesn't yeah. seem like it's there's okay. an actual yeah. like through line narrative it, it's yeah just okay a, all right yeah science dog is gonna be in this he's on Hell. the cover of number three motherfuckers let's go <laughs> do, we see, uh, do we see seance dog that's uh, what i was gonna call me when it's seance dog <laughs> i don't know man i don't know i'm i'm oh go ahead did that that actually reminds me um did you see the reason why it's Seance Dog and not Science Dog? I saw K- Kirkman, yeah, tweet about it yeah. or reply to a comment about it or whatever it was, where you were saying it, it was a rights issue. Um, yeah, I'm super interested to see how that plays out because, like, I, 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 I'm sure that there is some truth to that, but I also have a feeling that 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 might come home to roost in another way uh, in the seems future. Like, seems like it would be more of a rights issue for Seance Dog, right? Like. Why? He's a dog, but he's Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's parody, though. 
I mean, couldn't the same thing be said for Science Dog? And isn't it his? Yes. I want, I want to see some astounding Wolfman show up in this. Yes, Tyler. Which speak I think my Jason, language. Jason Howard's name is in this. Who drew that? So, I, like, Kirkman did a lot of stuff, like, right before Invincible that, like, isn't as big, but I think it's good and stupid. Um, I'm hoping he kind of just gets to do little stories here and there through this. Well, yeah. they're, they're going to debut a new story uh, with him and Jason Howard uh, here that will spin off into its own thing. So uh, that's pretty cool, too. Um, yeah, not too long to wait. Summer book, July. Um, I'll, I'll be picking it up for sure. Uh, I'm going to push for us to review it. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a given. It's Do we know the price be, point for it? An event. Yeah, um, $4.99 for 44 yeah. pages. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good, yeah, that's good bargain. Uh, I'm not Joker, too. <laughs> Dude, oh my, oh my God. <laughs> Did I just say the forbidden word? <laughs> you said know. the secret word. <laughs> all right. All get right, the soapbox right, out. That boy hold gets on, a cigar. Oh, right, wait, it's on. over there. Can't, no. I got to tell, I got it. This is the podcast. I have to, I have to be honest. I saw Joker it. 2. This motherfucker. I saw, I saw, jo- I saw Joker 2, <laughs> and I said, you know what? Fuck this book, right? Yo. And then I walked away, and then I went back and picked it up. You yes! son of a bitch. <laughs> not even a week. Not even a week. You're like, I'll never. I'll never get another one. And then he takes a swig. <laughs> <laughs> he better. He's not going to be able to afford that beer after buying Joker 2. <laughs> I, but that's it, though. But that's it. That's, that's it, though. Joker when number. issue three yeah, comes I'll, out, I'll though. Tell Joker number three. Sean, that Joker book's pretty good, though, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's a stealth Commissioner Gordon book. It's good, but. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, <laughs> you know what else I'm going to pick up is Chip Zdarsky's Justice League, The Last Ride. And I'll tell you why I'm going to pick it up. You're a big Undertaker, Mark. That's true, <laughs> but uh, it's actually because this book is no longer digital first. Yeah, there it is. So a few months ago, we talked about this book and we talked about how it was a huge deal that a Chip Zdarsky Justice League book was going to be digital first and that DC was really putting their money where their mouth is as it relates to digital comics. Um, but now we see... In this instance, and in the uh, the Static Shock instance, that they're relenting uh, on that. Um, so the story is literally just that the book's no longer digital first. Um, do you guys think this represents DC kind of falling back for, away from the yeah, digital first initiative? I do. I it feels like, like they're walking back on a lot of what they've said because... Mm. Um, we talked about the price point at, like either last week or the week prior, and um, it looks like they're still going to be doing just based off the article um, from Bleeding Cool the ten-page digital chapters for the ninety-nine cents. So there's going to be some aspect of it that's going to come out piece by piece, like piecemeal. Yeah. Um, but I think it was probably prudent on their end to still release it in physical because, like we discussed, you can definitely go check that episode out. I think two thirty-two, um, where you're cutting out an audience and the like an entirety of a of a of an audience there that isn't a good idea no matter how you have sort of the 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 initiative to be digital first um it's too sharp of a change whereas like a gradual move probably makes sense but 
um, for them to pivot back this quickly and like this hard to it, I think is telling that they they're rethinking things. I just feel like they need to stop announcing plans. Um, there's nothing wrong with pivoting. There's nothing wrong with like thinking that you're going to do something and then the market reacts in a way you didn't expect. And you, ch- but like they've done that so frequently, it it really just feeds into this narrative that like they're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, right? That like they that there's a lack of vision or that there's a disagreement about what the right vision is, um, and. Yeah, for them to announce this so recently, and then before any of the digital first books have even come out, they're like, nah, 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 never mind. They're all coming out in stores too the same day. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it just speaks to a lack of confidence in their own ideas. They announced the book in February. So in two months, they decided to switch it up on whether it was going to be digital first or not. And... I agree with you, Pete. I think it's really strange that they continue because this isn't the this isn't even the first time they've done this. Um, I don't really understand what's going on over there. It's so it's so weird. Like you compare that to Marvel, Marvel just seems very very consistent. You compare it to even Image, and you know we talk about like how long it takes for you know Image books to to release. Uh, Monstrous is on issue thirty three. If you can believe that, like, for like that book's five been for, Damn, that that book's been around for like five six years, yeah. and it's only on issue thirty three. That's outrageous. But at least you know that Image is going to screw you like that. With DC, <laughs> they tell you, yeah. Like, <laughs> with DC, you can't predict it, and, I, and no one's screwed by this necessarily. It's not. It doesn't hurt anybody, but it's just weird that they didn't realize ahead of time that they should not do things like that. Wait till next month, Sean, when I announce this is actually going to be a motion comic. <laughs> oh, God. YouTube first. <laughs> you get the first 10 pages of a motion comic on YouTube. Not going to lie, I was a fan of Marvel Infinity Comics. Those were kind of cool. Mm, I remember those. I remember yeah. watching them on Netflix. <laughs> what a time. I, I just think it's a little weird that they would, like... Like, I think in comics right now, there aren't as many, like big names like big draws like they were maybe 10 years ago yeah but i feel like chip is one of those names oh he's just getting there yeah he's getting there i think there are a lot of up-and-coming people like like ramvi like you mentioned you know where they're they're coming up they could be that but like we don't have that many bendises right now you know like jeff johns does an event book every so often uh, but like chip is one of those names where like people recognize it and just making it digital first or digital only originally uh, weird weird play on that one do you do you guys know where to find it? Because I, I'm like looking through it. it uh, apparently, the the date for the first digital chapter was for Wednesday, April 14th, so last week. If you're here this on Monday, but it's not on Comicsology, and I'm assuming that's the only place you can get it for a digital part, like a digital partner like that, outside of like a a third party global comics or something. So I'm curious to see if it's even out. <laughs> Maybe they just they just didn't they just didn't drop it. That'd um, be wild. I mean, it, it it couldn't have come out because it says that the book is is going to be published in print and digitally simultaneously in May. Okay. So, okay, but they're, so they're no longer even doing the digital chapters, apparently. Then, um, they are in in, in well, actually, no, no, we don't know, we don't know. Doesn't that also miss solicitations? Then, like, yeah. 
Absolutely. That's so weird. Absolutely. It, maybe maybe it's like comic shops already have issues with DC Comics, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just I just think that DC doesn't care about anyone not at DC. Like they don't they don't care how it affects comic shops. They don't care how it affects um, you know, fans, uh customers. They just do whatever they're going to do and you got to suck it up and deal with that. That's the way it feels from DC. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's fair to say, right? I will be along for the ride uh, for Justice League, the last ride. You'll be picking it up with uh, your copy of Joker 3. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, rate, no. Sean's going to be paying like a monthly rent for DC Comics. I hate, I hate it. I hate <laughs> it. I'm not buying Joker 3. Yo, I don't, dude, it. that means nothing. You said that to me too. I was like, I took that to the bank. <laughs> what, what, what means less? Sean saying he's not going to buy DC Comics or DC announcing plans. Like, <laughs> it's like kind of equal. Like, <laughs> I feel like the, the rhythm is DC announces something, Sean's mad, but then he goes to the comic book store and he's just like, ah. look i saw the cover and i was just like damn all right sean's gonna venmo his comic shop and say like tuition instead of uh (laughs) his pull box is uh he's got to pay rent on it yeah but then uh, but i didn't buy superman i didn't buy that oh okay that was six dollars but i don't care about that book so you draw the line at like 4.99 no, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know where I draw. I draw, I draw the line every I draw week. The line at Joker number three. That's where I draw. <laughs> That's Sean, what you said about Sean, Joker number two. <laughs> Sean draws a line. It's just a big circle. That way, DC knows to just drop whatever price point they want on him. I was it's gonna the, say it's just a big circle around him. Yep, <laughs> it's the old fucking Looney Tunes bit where it's like. Fucking Yosemite Sam, Bugs Bunny like draws a line and saying he's like I dare you to cross this line and uh-huh. fucking Yosemite Sam crosses it and it just keeps happening over and over. DC's like I dare you to spend more than three ninety nine, four ninety nine, five ninety nine, <laughs> six ninety nine, and so forth. Uh all right, thanks guys. Um, <laughs> let, let let's talk about let's talk about Marvel, okay? Uh, who doesn't juice me? Uh, for six dollars, they? they don't fleece me. Mm-hmm. What, what did they fleece me for six bucks with? I mean, what's what was on your pull list them? this week? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that costs six dollars, man. <laughs> Except Joker number two, Ten of Swords. That's the last time Marvel fleeced Sean. <laughs> oh, god. <laughs> oh my god, Tyler, what's, did you read that, man? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it reminded me of like the montage of like a camp movie. Of like them doing all the camp activities, <laughs> like that. Yeah. But that was yeah. the whole story. That was, was the whole the camp, story. The, yeah. the montage. I did all like right. the uh, the storm stuff in it. I thought that was good. So sorry, Sean. Before we get to that, I just found it finally. It's actually really stay in date, but on Comicsology at least, it's only for a dollar sixty nine. The first full issue of Justice League Last Ride. Nice. What? Yeah, a wow. well, dollar ninety nine. With the subscription, you get like the percent off. So uh, I'd be paying a dollar sixty nine for the one issue versus mm. the three ninety nine um, for the full thing, like print. That's ridiculous. Nah, that's that's <laughs> that's dog shit. But you know what? Um, 
you say that, but Joker is is five ninety nine. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> Joker's five ninety nine digitally, and you're paying a dollar more for the card stock that you don't get. So, congrats, digital first person. <laughs> and this is why NFTs exist. Exactly. And that's why DC will be the first major comics company to go hard. The world is I a vampire. <sighs> I wanted to talk about Dead of Swords just really fast because so I bought every issue, right? It was like, what, 22 issues, something nuts. And we did the math. I don't remember what it was. It was some astronomical number. But before the, the book resolved, somewhere like in the first five issues, they put out the pre-order for the um, for the the hardcover of the whole deal, and I bought that. And <laughs> I, oh, I remember. not only has it not it's not shipped yet. It's 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 been it was supposed to come out like two months ago. Has not come out. I don't want it. That book sucked. Should, like that was it was so bad. It. But I'm not like a, going to. Do you have like an open spot in your your like shelf that you need to fill? Or? Yeah. I mean, I can give you other suggestions to, <laughs> other than that. It's too late. I'm going to buy it. I mean, I, I already bought it. I'm not going to cancel it. It's good looking. There's yeah. a justification. It's a good looking book. Great. Marvel's, yeah. treating, Marvel's treating like a used dish rag, my man. Just squeezing you out. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, they're putting out the Jonathan Hickman X-Men omnibus for $75. Um around uh, on December 21st. So um, I will be buying that as well. That's really Is that funny. his entire run, I guess, until it reboots in the summer? Yep. Um, okay. Every issue That's except... Cool. It, the only thing it doesn't include is the Ten of Swords stuff. So it includes oh, good. the... Um, it inc- includes that, like, Kree scroll crossover stories, or... Um, that, there was, like, uh, yeah, the, I know. Oh, yeah. The There's, like, one issue with Vulcan. It yeah. also includes the giant size uh, issues. Ooh, oh, that's okay. okay. That's awesome. There's some really yeah. good ones. No, yeah. that's worth so the that's, money. Yep. 75 bucks. Can't go wrong. For yeah. sure. Uh, speaking of the X-Men, we finally know the full team that uh, Jerry Duggan will be writing uh, in X-Men number one due out later this year. Uh, Marvel has revealed the team in a pretty cool video that they put out actually on Twitter. Um, and we now know that the team will be the following Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Jean Grey, Professor X, Rogue, what? Wolverine, X23, Sink, Sunfire, who was in the poll and lost, but still made the team. That's that's not cool. Okay, Marvel. Participation um, trophy much? Yeah, what the hell? Um and Polaris, who of ultimately course. did win the poll. I thought that was nice. Rachel Gray in the picture, not Sunfire. I don't know. Rachel Gray. I don't know. I so I, I know that um Phil's a little a little proud to to say it, but um I got you, buddy. It, it turns nice. out that he actually Professor X got really upset that Phil won his spot. Thank so you. some Marvel stuff happened, you know. I don't want to put you on the spot, but but you know. Uh, it, it shook out that Professor X made the team instead of Phil. We yeah, all know who really won, that. though. Yeah, well, yeah, that was I'm on the boom boom train. Politics. It had to be Polaris. You guys are just. I'm happy to see Sync on the team. That's pretty cool. Yeah, That's, I, yeah. I've been um I've been reading um uh Generation X like the original stuff. Um, it's good stuff. It's like I think it's like early Bacalo art, um, which is interesting. But oh yeah. Sinks I, so in there. 
This is actually going to be uh, Pepe Larraz and Marta Gracia together again. I mean, nice. and that is like them on a monthly X-Men title, like the core title is unbelievable. And I, I, I don't know, like I kind of wish it was Jonathan Hickman writing. It. I know How do you feel about Jerry Duggan, though. Marcus I think he's guy. I think he's solid, but Marauders just isn't doing it for me right now. Mm. It's mid. Nope. Real mid. Mm. Mid. All right. That's a lot. No, he's right. Um, you guys excited, though, for returning to meat and potatoes X-Men shit? Nope. That's what I wanted to ask. What do you guys want this book to be? Tyler, you start. I just want it to be like a superhero comic, honestly. Yep. Like, I just, here's the thing. I'm a big Cyclops Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might be like top three favorite Marvel characters of all time mm-hmm. for me. Um, I think he's one of the few characters to actually have a evolution throughout the years. Nice. Um, That's a good X-Men pun. He's like their night, <laughs> yeah, their nightwing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a way. Um, so seeing him on a team again is great. Um, I don't know. I just want like, I just want dumb superhero books again. Are you one of those uh, Cyclops was right guys back? Uh, oh, yeah. X-Men versus. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I had a Cyclops was right shirt once I, I went out with one. Matt. Yeah, once I, I went out with Matt once and we both were wearing a Cyclops is right his right shirt and it was kind of awkward, so we both had to change. Um, <laughs> both had to change. Wait, what? Uh well one of us did. That's I was the one polite driving, thing. So, yeah. You both change so that one person doesn't have to give it up, you know? Yeah, so yeah, I just want to like a I feel like the the Hickman stuff is it can get a little heady. Like I think we're definitely gonna have that with like Way of X. Um getting in some deep topics there like i, I kind of just want a dumb book fight some sentinels you know that's kind of what i want i uh, i'll be interested to see what jerry puts out i i don't think i'm a fan of the stuff that he has uh, there's been exceptions here and there like the um, i say marauders is mid as well my buddy uh sure um and uh but like like the king and black stuff um some of the the venom things that i've never read in, in the past before like he was able to make me to connect with them so i know that he has uh an ability but within the x-men world marauders being that sort of litmus test i am not as excited for it pepe Larraz and marta, marta gracia definitely are the the draws here for me and as for the content i mean I got I got to see. I I'm sure that if it's a good superhero story, I'll be in there. If it's something else entirely, I'll probably be in there. Just it, it'll depend on the the quality there for me just because of uh of where I stand with with Duggan. You also do a comic book podcast, so like uh, it might not be your call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um I, I would say I I'm pretty close to where where Marco is right now where like I my my concerns with this book are mostly with, with Jerry and like where he's going to take it and, and kind of, you know, hoping that it's going to be something that's more exciting to read month to month than Marauders has been, um, which has been real peaks and valleys. Uh, but I do think the art team on a book that you can like assume is going to be more action oriented, um, is, is enough of a draw for me. And I'm willing to like see what the narrative is here because I'm interested in the idea of, you know, what What does having a team of X-Men mean in the context of Krakoa and mm-hmm. and the broader machinations of, you know, mutant culture and everything? Um, but, you know, I think the idea that, like, 
um that Scott and Jean kind of have this this realization that the X-Men are a core part of mutant culture and mutant identity um is something that I'm interested in how the team is going to explore that narratively. Like is is it going to be just kind of a meat and potatoes superhero book, but they all live on Krakoa? Or is it going to be a little bit more like, what do the X-Men mean to mutants and what are they supposed to represent? And, you know, are they heroes for mutants? Are they heroes for everybody? Like what, I feel like there's, there's meat on that bone. Um, that could, that could be pretty satisfying aside from just the, it'll be fun to see them do superhero shit again. I like how. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say I like how none of us have batted an eye about Wolverine being X twenty three. Who gives a like, shit? It just makes sense to me. Like, yeah, mm, I'm not. Oh. I, 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 I've said it before. I'll say it again. She's she's not Wolverine. She's X twenty three. What? This is you know why? Because I and this is across the board. I like it. I don't like it when characters who have an identity assume the identity of someone else. Like Wolverine is is logan and laura mckinney is x23 and i don't think that it serves her to make her wolverine i think she should have her own identity like i'm not i'm similarly not into like oh now nightwing's batman no he's nightwing he does his own thing he has his own identity that's who he is he's not batman let me ask you a question about that because now you got me thinking do you think there are certain characters that merit kind of a legacy role yeah, I think that like Captain America um, is a good example. I think that you can definitely do interesting things with other people wearing the moniker because it means something. Okay, and the 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 identity of Captain America, the 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 shield, the the costume has value independent of who's wearing it. Whereas Wolverine is just an it's just a code name. It doesn't mean anything. I, I would go a step further on that logic. I feel like if you're like a direct descendant of the character, it also makes sense. So like Jonathan Kent being Superman or like Damian Wayne being Batman. I feel like that kind of makes sense. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do know what you mean, but she's his clone. Yes. I mean, I, I do recommend you check out the all new Wolverine stuff. It's fantastic. I, it. I yeah. thought it was tremendous. Yeah, I think it made sense because in a way she is his daughter in a strange sense, you know, like she, she views him as a, as a, a father figure. Um, but like, even in the example that Phil just gave Damian Wayne and Jonathan Kent don't have identities. They don't have, they're, they're, they're just that. That's like who they the are. Kid, Super boy, right. Robin. And then, okay. They grow up and like, let's say, um, you know, Bruce Wayne dies, like in Grant Morrison's uh, uh, Batman six, six, six. It makes sense to me that Damian Wayne would assume that mantle but with wolverine logan still around i don't understand why laura would just just call herself wolverine as well Mm. and i don't i don't like it doesn't make any sense to me i mean i would argue that laura didn't have an identity because x23 is just a it's like her project identity yeah yeah i mean yeah but that's you know go ahead i think wolverine is like like Logan really just goes by Logan, you know, like, like Wolverine is like the superhero name for him, you know? Yeah. And I think her slot against this X-Men role makes her Wolverine where Logan can kind of like, he doesn't want to do that shit, at least currently to, to the larger Marvel public. Does anyone give a shit about Wolverine? Like if you're just a dude living in New York, it's like Captain America, Iron Man. I know these people Wolverine. Do you give a shit about Wolverine? You're scared of him. 
Yeah, I, I feel like Wolverine that. is famous, but not that famous. Hmm. He's famous, but for the wrong reasons. He killed. Yeah. He he got um, his mind taken over by the hand and is known as an assassin. So Wolverine is not a it's not even something he would want to go by. And then beyond that, like there's currently a book called Wolverine that she's not in. So you <laughs> okay. buy that All book. Right. And she's not there, wow. and then you buy X Men, and she's there, and she's Wolverine. It don't make sense. So they should they relaunch it as Logan instead? No, I think they should not call her Wolverine. Give her a new name. <laughs> yeah, um, it, that would be cool. It, like if if because Tyler's right, X twenty three is not what she chose for herself. Yeah. So if you want to give her a new name, I would be totally open to that. But I think Wolverine should just be that one. Lady Wolverine done. Wolverine. <laughs> the badger. <laughs> so awful. Wolver S. OG Gamer. Give, give her a name, Sean. What, what do you got? Wolver S is really bad. The mongoose. <laughs> I like that. The mongoose. I'm sticking with that. That sounds like a D list Captain America villain. <laughs> or like a D list Wolverine villain. You know, like it's like, ah, oh, he fought Sabretooth last week. Who's he going to fight this week? The mongoose. Oh my God. That's awful. <laughs> um, wow. Bringing it back full circle here about sure. Duggan's X Men. Uh, I think it was what X Men sixteen that we got kind of a flavor of a more traditional ride in uh, what X Men comics are traditionally like. Mm. Uh, we all liked that issue uh, quite a bit, and if done well, I think we all have time and space for it. Uh, I don't know if Jerry Duggan's the guy to deliver that for me, but. You know, I think like, Tyler wants dumb comics, and I don't think he's a, like alone in that. I think there's a lot of X Men fans who are a little fatigued on the Hickman thing. I'm not one of them, but I think in the space of all these X titles, uh, that there's no reason we can't have a book like that. Because we're getting more Hickman, I just feel like there's yeah. a good slot for like dumb shit. <laughs> you know, it's like really Excal- weird. Excalibur's a little, you know, fantasy heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, Marauders kind of has like some other undertones in it, but I don't know. Yeah, there's no superhero title yeah. among that line, and I think uh, it's overdue. So I'm excited, and I think that, you know, Jerry Duggan has chops. I don't know that the Marauders situation is all the way his fault. Um, sure. He's beholden to whatever the overall narrative is, and it feels like they've been in a holding pattern. Yeah. So now that he's writing the core X-Men title, maybe he's driving the ship. Or maybe he's divorced from the ship. Maybe they're not even on the ship. Maybe they're on a yacht somewhere. So he doesn't have to deal with all of that. And you don't, you don't like it because it's pirates. I fucking hate pirates. <laughs> Likes Marauders though. Duggan, don't be a coward. Make the mongoose the leader of the X Men. What do you think uh, Hickman's next X Men book is? Like, in, do you think it's uncanny? Like, uh... we we had this conversation yeah. and um, we were all over the map. I personally think it's probably I want to say it's the Moira book because they tried to find a writer to do it and they whoever that was turned them down so I think Jonathan Hickman is on his Thanos where he's like all right I guess I'll just do it myself um but at the same time that is the end game that's where like once she's brought into the mix it's kind of over but I don't think that the book has to be about her right now. I think a Moira book through the years that shows like 
her different timelines and what she's done. Yeah, that could be cool. Could be interesting, and I would read it. Be- just before we move off this, it's fucking weird that Professor X is on this team, right? Hey, yep. It yeah. sometimes, not very often. Yeah, but why Why does he need to like get off his you know high horse there? Because wasn't the whole thing that if they were going to go be X-Men, they couldn't be on the council, so he's not going to be on the council anymore? Exactly. The fuck's that about? Yeah. I think that when we get Hellfire Gala, we'll understand a lot more. Yeah. Um, and by the way, this book, X-Men number one, is due out July 7th. So Interesting. Um, Let's go. Four days Yo, before my birthday. Quick quick shout out to the the uh, alternate covers here. You got Juan Cabal, Peach Momoko, RB Silva, Patrick Gillison. Mad names on this. Yeah, um, the Peach Momoko stuff is so good. Oh, yep. she's been she's been driving awesome stuff. Yeah. Anyone read Demon Days? Yeah, that was yes. good. Yes. Oh, great. I can't wait for more of that. Yes, indeed. Um, all right. So let's let's move into our last uh news item here. Uh, and this is of course about Alfred Molina. Most people who have seen the Spider-Man movies are gonna say I would, I think, and anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, are going to say he's their favorite villain. Doc Ock is their favorite villain from the Spider-Man movies. Sandman? Oh, God. Mine's Lizard. I feel like... Um, no, no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> when you say Spider-Man fil- films, are you, are you talking about the yeah. you know, Tommy McGuire ones or all? All, Spider-Man across movies? all, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think mine's uh, still one still. Mine's still Norman Osborn. I, I would say, yeah, I think the only character that's in like serious contention is is Norman Osborn because, of course, Willem Dafoe with yeah, an inc- just, just an incredible uh, fucking turn. You yeah. know what? Vulture from the uh, Homecoming movie was really good. I really like. He's that also list. really good. Yeah, that car scene where you get the reveal. Oh man! Yeah, that shit is dope. <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's fair to say that people really loved yeah. uh, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Yeah, he's he's in that conversation easily. So we know, of course, through leaks and yada, yada, yada. Of course, if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me wax about what's happening with Spider-Man No Way Home many times. Um, but now the 67-year-old man has admitted uh, completely in a variety interview that he is coming back to play the Doc Ock character once again. The first time that he's ever uh, reprised the role um, in this way. And so he gave us a little bit of detail about what we can expect from his character. And I just thought it was interesting, especially as we lead into our main topic. Uh, so he said, when we were shooting it, we were all under orders not to talk about it because it was supposed to be some great big secret. But, you know, it's all over the Internet. I actually described myself as the worst kept secret in Hollywood. Uh, it was wonderful. It was very interesting going back after 17 years to play the same role, given that in the intervening years, I now have two chins, a waddle, crow's feet, and a slightly <laughs> dodgy lower back. Dude, so <laughs> he's the penguin gonna, now. That's how Pete's going to talk about himself when he's in his 60s. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, when we get to uh, episode 1000. <laughs> yeah, so when you're right. in your 30s. <laughs> that's when a uh, monstrous number uh, 40 comes out. <laughs> <laughs> they're like ah yes i have two chins a waddle and crow's feet and uh a slightly dodgy lower back since monstrous number 32 <laughs> um so of course there's the big question of well didn't that character die 
Um, and he points out that fact when he spoke with John Watts. He said, I died. And uh, he says that he was replied to by Watts with, in this universe, no one really dies. So uh, we we can extrapolate from that, that he's referring to the multiverse. Um, we know based on this article that they're going to pluck the character right out of the moment that he would have died in Spider-Man 2 and then put him into whatever scenario um, he's going to be in in Spider-Man 3. Um, but he also went on to say uh, when he brought up to Watts how he's 67, uh, he said he just looked at me and said, did you see what we did to Bob, jo- Bob Downey Jr. and Sam Jackson? Of course, in reference to the uh, the way that they, they made them look younger the age um them. yeah the age of them so people call him bob down no no one when does I read this article i saw that and i cringed like oh my god no that's the most enlightening thing in this whole article i think <laughs> yeah what if that's like just what his friends call him i like i like the thought that like alfred molina is either tight enough with him that he calls him bob or he's just trying to take him down a peg he's like i am <laughs> bob downey jr you know Mm. Um, and then he, he he talks about how you know physically he's not the same person, but it's mostly just the arms, uh, the octopus arms that do the heavy lifting anyway. Um, so with with the confirmation that uh, Alfred Molina is reprising his role as Doc Ock, are you guys excited for that prospect, or does it make you feel like this movie is just too too all over the place? Don't know yet, right? Yeah, uh, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like hot take. I don't mind. Um, I don't think that. I, I don't think that any of the characters returning or the the villains returning and any combination. I think I don't mind because I've gotten enough proof from Marvel to be able to say that they're able to deliver on something that I'll be engaged with. And if he wasn't in this movie, if they add back Sandman or Venom or whatever the fuck, like I'm to whatever extent, I feel like they have a grasp on the universe. I'm able to communicate these characters and these stories to us in a succinct and meaningful way that I'm not necessarily worried. So for me, I, I don't really care in a good way in that I'm just ready for that experience. Yeah, I think I think that that sums up where I'm at pretty, pretty perfectly, where it's just like if it all comes together and it's super cool like that, I, I could see that being very rewarding. Right. I think the idea of them, um, you know, being being able to leverage the fact that like we are so far into this whole, you know, superhero movie thing that audiences can understand the concept of a multiverse and there being multiple Spider-Men or, you know, multiple versions of different characters or what have you. Um, and then on top of that, leverage the fact that there is like a real world history of there being all of these different versions that people will immediately recognize. Yeah. And that you can kind of like, you know, have uh, have your cake and eat it too a little bit. Right. Where like you can leverage the fact that we know Alfred Molina as as Doc Ock, right? And that, like, you already have some attachment to that. You already, you know, that means something 
um, to you as a moviegoer, right? And the fact that um, that they can potentially kind of use that to put forward, you know, cool narrative beats, but also to build, to continue building the universe out and getting in more of the high concept, you know, like real meat and potatoes comic book shit um, that would have been impossible and extremely confusing for the average person in, you know, 2012, um, but now is like second nature and they're building to it right it's something that we talked about in spider-man 2 that there are multiple realities that um it was brought up in endgame it's being explored in um in wandavision and like you know like it's clear that this is kind of the next thing that marvel is kind of trying to drive to i think you know what's wild though if you're like 20 years old you like probably never saw spider-man 2 yeah yeah you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. that movie came out in 2004 i think yep so there's a whole generation of adults as crazy as it is to say that have no emotional attachment to that character to that Mm -hmm. movie or any of those movies frankly that this is like a move that appeals to fucking old ass millennials like us and we don't have full confirmation if uh andrew garfield and tim mcguire are showing i've seen like leaks here and there you know like their autographs on like a cast thing or their their body double shown you know for those of you that can't see the youtube video right now he's pushing the soapbox closer and closer to sean's feet (laughs) (laughs) we don't have any full confirmation on it so like how the whole point of alfred molina doing doc ock and spider-man 2 because there was a connection to that peter parker you don't get that if it's just um tom holland Kale, help me out on these. You like these new Spider-Man movies, right? No, he's never seen them. <laughs> you know, I think uh, the thing is that Alfred Molina, you know, he, what do we say, 67? Mm-hmm. Guy's 67, he's got four arms. He probably doesn't even know who Tom Holland is. Um, Andrew Garfield Six. is like, no, he's got four. Four arms. Six. Mm-hmm. Four arms. <laughs> um, You know... It's just like, what do you do, right? But also, like, can any of you remember Amazing Spider-Man 2 with uh, Jimmy Fox's Electro? I try to forget it. No, didn't see it. I don't see, like, are they just going to be Easter eggs at this point? I mean... It's going to be like the multiverse opens up and these characters, like, oh, I know that guy. I I show up. I think it could be, but I don't, I personally, like, I, that wouldn't bother me either. Like, fair. I, I've seen a lot of that discourse of like, oh, what? Like, are we going to see them for like two seconds? I I think that would be fine. Like, I, I don't necessarily need the whole movie to be like, oh, there's three main characters who are Spider-Man and there's nine villains. And like, it, if it is just more like we're tangibly showing you a multiverse that we're moving through or we're jumping from place to place or whatever. Like, I think that could still be just as rewarding. All right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hijack this by jumping on my soapbox, but I will say that there, it doesn't have to be an overcrowded movie. Mm-mm. If you include all those characters and they're fully in, in, in ingrained in the film, because one we already know every single one of them. And two, the main character is obviously um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. So even if you said, okay, this is the Sinister Six versus three different 
versions of Spider-Man, I think you can pull that off. Look at Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. When Into the Spider-Verse had the baggage of having to introduce all of those characters in the one movie. This movie doesn't have to do that. It can play on your knowledge of these characters pre-existing. And I think that that can work super effectively. Toby and, and Andrew do not have to have story arcs. They can say, well, this is nuts, but we're here to support you, Tom Holland, and just, you know, just do whatever needs to be done. I, I, I really don't think it's that complicated. Well, and it, I think you bring up Spider-Verse, right? Like, that's what Spider-Verse did with, with Peter, right? Like, Peter is contextualized through, oh, you're a person, Right. Like you probably have an idea of who Spider-Man is. You've seen the movies. You've played the games. You've read a, like you get it. Right. Done. Cool. And, and that character had a bit of a story arc within the movie. Right. Worked really well. and did a service to that character. But, but it was the B plot. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like his arc is. <laughs> he, he puts the B in the B plot. Yes. <laughs> like he does. He does have his own arc and he goes on his own emotional journey. But it's rooted through Miles's journey and what it means for him to come into the mantle right and like that's what you can do with with our tom holland peter you know yeah i'm i'm totally on board and i cannot wait to see what they ultimately do but that brings us into our main topic because alfred molina's doc ock is probably the first example of that I can think of of an on-screen superhero villain who was played for sympathy. And now that's become a hot button conversation as it relates to not only superhero comics or superhero films rather, but film and television across the board. So we're going to we're going to ask and answer the question are sympathetic villains problematic? So I want to I want to set the stage for this conversation um, before everybody jumps in. So Again, Alfred Molina played a character who we were meant to sympathize with. You know, they they really did a diversion from the comic book Doc Ock in that this one had, you know, a wife and he was a mentor to Peter. And even when he's doing when he's villainous, it's not really his fault. Um, you know, he's a scientist who's subject to the whims of, you know, his um, his. uh his bosses and, you know, whether or not he has funding and things like that. And he does something good for the world, but unfortunately it backfires. And now the octopus arms are in control of his actions, not him. Right. So a lot of people who really love that character in the movie feel he's very sympathetic. And of course there are uh, characters like that in so many superhero films. And even on television, you have characters like Walter White, who you can kind of, you know, see where he's coming from for quite some time. Sure. And, um, you know, Michael, Ch Michael Chiklis's character from the shield and on and on and on. There are so many to now, right. In 2021, where you have a show like uh, Falcon winter soldier, no spoilers, but if you know who John Walker is, then you know that things are not going great. Um, but he's a character you can sympathize with. Or even if you look at, well, I was going to say, if you look at invincible, um, maybe the comic, maybe not so much the show. Um, but I think we can all point to characters like that. Even Harvey Dent from The Dark Knight is a character who's screwed up. He's doing bad things, but you kind of understand why he feels how he feels, whether you agree or disagree with what he's doing. Sure. And a lot of people are not happy 
with those kinds of portrayals. I think the biggest example we can point to is Joker, where a lot of people were upset with the fact that this character who's traditionally portrayed as a homicidal, genocidal, sociopathic murderer um, now is a character with a heart who we're supposed to care about. Um, and a lot of people felt like not only is that hard to do, but it's also potentially harmful for the minds of you know people who are vulnerable or impressionable or people who could be swayed toward that type of of you know action i guess you could say um where do you guys fall on that because i think that that question is one of not only the kinds of things we're willing to consume in our media um, but also the kinds of stories that you know creators are allowed to tell i I think that for me, um, I, I, I like those stories. I would disagree with the notion that they are cause for harm because I think it, that ignores the complexity of a person regardless of action. I, I think the thing, one of the things that the, the show tries to do as well, Falcon Winter Soldier, is also work within Carly's character and appease to her humanity. Because I think outside of being like a straight up serial killer, people have depth and can be out of that depth in one way or the other. And I, I, I don't know that I would necessarily say that people are one extreme a hundred percent or like a zero percent in one extreme, the other way, right? Like there's a sliding scale and where you stand on that is a, uh, a limit to that degree, but never reaching that degree. And I, and that's just like a worldview for me. So that when, when I think that, you know, these are stories that shouldn't be told, I think that they should, because it, it helps to challenge a notion of extreme, uh, of uh, extremism in the sense that there's, there is only a dichotomy and that there, there sure. is only um, one way or another. And I, I, I personally don't believe that that's something that exists in the world. Um, and so for me, it provides one that as a challenge, but also is compelling storytelling. Like the, the character, John Walker, I just shared a, a tweet in the discord, like half jokingly about, um, Rob Liefeld. He, he tweeted out John Walker rules, hashtag team Walker. I'll agree with the first statement. Like John Walker is a character fucking rules. Like I, I get why there's appeal there because of the way that he is portrayed as, a person people have flaws uh sean makes references all the time like there is nobody here that won't have something within them good or bad that they can't account for the second part of that statement in which he does hashtag team walker if we're thinking about his ideas and the way that he approaches situation uh, john walker specifically um that's something that i wouldn't disagree with and i think there's a capacity that maybe gets lost in conversation about being able to agree to agree within one respect but disagree in another and that in and of itself is to some people a like a paradox or, or contrary but i think that that's complexity and and i think that that complexity is something that i wouldn't personally want to be lost in storytelling or in in reality you had to view that tweet on your personal account, not the Comics Pals one, right? 
No, yeah, I put it on the Discord too. But yeah, I, I retweeted still, that. Still blocked? Yeah, we're still blocked. Yeah, okay. still blocked. <laughs> Rob Liefeld blocked us for some reason. Um, even it's because we, we don't find Johnny Walker sympathetic. I guess we had. Very, <laughs> oh, I want to. My my friend Johnny Walker is very <laughs> sympathetic to me. I want to add a little bit, um, and Marco, if this changes your thoughts at all, feel free. Um, yeah. Do you think that creators have to be careful or sensitive to the degree that they? make a character like a John Walker or a Walter White or whoever sympathetic? Do you think that they have to be careful not to push that too far so that it doesn't have a quote unquote harmful effect if there's a harmful effect to be had at all? I I don't think so. Um, and this would be my last point to let other people jump in. Um, I, I don't think so because uh, I don't think they have to be careful because it's a perspective and I don't think that a perspective can necessarily be right or wrong within certain spaces, a creative space um, that isn't necessarily pointed uh, in like one way or another. They're just trying to like showcase humanity. I don't find that um, I, that wouldn't change my opinion. I, I don't think creators need to be careful about that necessarily because it leads to conversations we've had in the past where like a video game is violent doesn't make um somebody violent like the the extreme to which it's portrayed in art doesn't influence per uh, a person outside of being able to them being able to experience that um within that controlled environment the same way you would a controlled environment of a story and i don't know that it'll be replicated necessarily or like the the degree to which it will be is smaller then should be worried about so that that's something i'll push back a little bit on not like in a worry about thing like i i don't i think um using the term like problematic right like is it's somewhat charged and and i think it carries like a certain connotation that i don't i don't know that this um goes to that extreme but i think i think to um i guess to present a counterpoint to that right i think it's less about worrying about making a character who's a bad person or who does bad things sympathetic as much as um, glorifying those things. I think that's the bigger problem. Um, as an example. So as, as an example, right? I think um, you brought up Walter White. And I feel like Walter White is like a great example of like the modern anti-hero. And, you know, he was a character that a lot of people... Um, I think, uh, got what was, what was kind of the purpose of being put down of like, you watch this metamorphosis of a man, like you said, Sean, that you can like see where he's coming from. You, you do kind of, uh, root for him and the way that, um, Vince, uh, Gilligan, yep. Vince Gilligan always described him was that I wanted to take a character who, uh, was Mr. Chips and turn him into Scarface. Right. And like, the journey of that character is his descent. And there was a, a, a huge percent, you know, percentage of that fan base. I remember um, that was like very, very like hated his wife, uh, Skylar, right? Because it was like, she's a bitch and she's always in his way and she's such a wet blanket. And it's this whole thing of like, yeah, but that's like what, a, that's like how a normal person would react. So that's where you're getting into a point where you're you're glorifying the actions of of a person that is supposed to be being presented as um you know as as a negative, I guess. And that's not like I, I don't think that that's like um I, I'm not coming at it with like a Christian panic, right? Of like think of the children, this is destroying society. But I think that be, 
Here he is. But I think that as a writer, your your responsibility is it's less about like what am I putting out there and more like is my character coming across the way I wanted them to? Um, because another example that comes to mind for me is like Rick and Morty, right? Which was like a show that became extremely popular and got memed into the ground because there was this loud contingency of the fan base that like, you know, um, Go to McDonald's looking for a Szechuan sauce. Yes. But, but sincerely, right. Is looking at a character who is supposed to be an asshole and, and being like, ah, he's my hero or I, I identify with him so much. And like, if you do, that's bad. Like that's you're not supposed to be identifying with that character. Um, and I think that's where you get into that murkier territory, right? It's less to me about the moralism of it and more like what is the intent of the art? And is it is it is that coming across to the audience? Yeah, I don't know if I have time or patience. Like there's a lot of people who watch things that are stupid. I don't know if I have time and patience to watch a movie that would like make a Nazi sympathetic or whatever. The descent of a, like a skinhead. I, I don't want to watch <laughs> that. You don't want a Red Skull origin movie? Yeah, baby. Like, <laughs> to be, to I would be, watch that immediately. It's funny, though, because like Red Skull Incarnate, written by Greg Pak, is a Red Skull origin story. And he's the same guy who wrote the Magneto origin, which is super compelling. It's like the opposite, um, almost, of exactly, Red Skull yeah. origin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Marco just gave that example where like Jojo Rabbit is that story, like American History X is essentially that story. And it's like in the inverse, it's not the descent, but it is like looking at somebody who's like bad or, or flawed. And yeah, but Jojo Rabbit's about a kid who doesn't know better and he learns that being a Nazi is bad. That's sure. different. That's a totally different thing. I'm talking about like why someone becomes a Nazi and like in a sympathetic way. And, I, you know, you talk about the creator intent and like, I, I'm sure that there are people that work for someone like vice or something that are like, let's explore why someone becomes a fucking white supremacist in a sympathetic way. Cause that way we can better understand that type of person. But to I've your point, <laughs> yeah, I've read that article. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wrote that article. There you go. <laughs> uh, but because of the type of dipshits you're talking about, Pete, there is going to be people that are like, I'm that skinhead and relate to it in the wrong it's way. It's like the Fight Club thing, right? Like like Fight Club is a story written by a gay man that's like a, 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 a extreme criticism of hyper-masculinity and capitalism and consumerism. And what did people take away from it? Oh, fucking Snowflake. It's like, that's making <laughs> fun of you. Like, Kel, yeah. what were you going to say? Yeah. It, it it feels like, and I, I'm not saying this as a pointed uh, statement about one particular group because, you know, we see it all over, but it feels like there's been a loss of um, critical thinking with audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, we, John Walker left, not John Walker, fucking the guy that plays him. White um, Russell. White Russell. Left thank Twitter. You. Yeah. Uh, left Twitter. Uh, oh, for really? death threats or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. fucking uh, Ray from Star Wars, oh Daisy Ridley God. left Twitter because of death threats. And uh, Kelly life. Marie Tran is a is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's like there's there's a degree of separation between art and real life and critical thinking and absorption that feels like in the past 20 years or something that's just 
been lost. I I think to that it becomes like uh, the example that was made with um, Pete. Your first example, I'm, I'm forgetting what it was, but the the I like Breaking before Bad? Morty. Yeah, Breaking Bad. With like, I think there's a there's a way to identify with um, with Walter White that isn't the aspects of his descent. And I think that like to to the point that that I made earlier, you can agree with one part of something and not agree with the negative aspects of something because i think that there's a at least for me there's uh there's been a conversation about agreeing with the whole versus the parts and i think that uh if you don't critique the uh the piece the like the smaller pieces of something um then you have to accept the whole for what it is and I think people fall into those camps really quickly that make it difficult, which is the critical thinking aspect, I think, Kale, that people don't parse out the individual pieces where they'll just be able to, to say, well, because of the totality of this and where I think it is, it, it is and is going, I believe this and denounce this versus being able to separate the instances of agreeing with something and denouncing something and be able to formulate um, an expressed opinion about that that combines those things that you personally agree with. Tyler, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, like back when I did my own podcast, I was kind of like on the, when Joker was coming out, when the first trailers were coming out, I was against it. I didn't think it was smart to come out with that movie. A uh, movie came out and I saw it twice in theaters, you know, like like I enjoyed it. But like, I think there's there's a loss of, gray area i think in the yeah. age of social media uh, there's only so much you can fit into a tweet um where uh, things don't have layers anymore discussions don't aren't, aren't critical anymore where no nuance. like with, exactly yeah like like joker there's parts of that movie where you can understand how the character got there you know his mental illness he's a he's a uh, the system kind of failed him throughout that and understanding where someone comes from and being a sympathetic character are not necessarily the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, even like Zemo's character in Falcon and Winter Soldier, like that character is a Nazi in the comic books. But in in the show, you know, he, you kind of feel for her. You can understand him in a certain way. You yeah. know, his whole country was destroyed because of heroes, you know. He lost his family. But he, yeah. But is he, is he a sympathetic character? I don't know about that. I think there are aspects of him that are sympathetic. But I think you lose that nuance. You lose that gray area nowadays because people don't have the attention span for it anymore. Things are more fun. Like back when I started going on the internet, like the whole jumping into a camp was just limited to, oh, I'm a PlayStation guy. I'm an Xbox guy. And now it's everything. You know, now it's like I can't. You, uh, this character is sympathetic. He always oh, bad. You know, like John Walker. Like White Russell is a great actor. Like if you see his Black Mirror episode, it's fantastic. Mm. Um, Ooh, which one is it? Uh, it's uh, when it first got brought back for Netflix. There is like a he goes into some kind of like video game horror oh, thing. Oh, oh, oh. oh okay. It's oh, it's great. Um, but like Snatch, something like that. No, it was one it was of the actual episodes uh, before. Oh, okay. Before oh, really? okay. I can find it for you after the show. Um, I don't know which one no, it is, but right. it's, it's a good Netflix. It's a good one. Um, but like you can't separate the actor from the work. Like it's, I see it in wrestling Twitter too. Like there are like these like camps of people that just attack other people on the internet for nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't get it. 
everything's descended into like just shit posting constantly where yeah, it's, it's like tribal shit posting tribal shit posting where it's like you like this thing you should fucking die <laughs> although that, do, do not fuck with sasha banks twitter i learned that one don't don't do that <laughs> yeah like you get it you get attacked by like uh, someone whose name is sasha banks blue wig or something like yeah. <laughs> um somebody who but, like clearly has notifications turned on for that word so that anyone right. who tweets about it they can just snipe them yeah it's an insane so, way to live your life <laughs> i think you guys are getting into more of like you know the way that people are fans of things and how that's toxic, toxic fandom. And that is certainly a problem. Um, I really have a strong distaste for people who cannot apply nuance um, as it relates to characters. So I grew up watching, you know, the wire Sopranos and Oz and shows like that, like the HBO stuff, the heavy stuff at nine years old. It explains why I am how I am. And um, you're a product of the wire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that can mean so many things. Um, Holy shit, yeah. That's the name of the podcast. Product of the wire. Product of the wire. I like it. Real good. Um, so those shows are all about that. You know, they're all about the idea that none of them are unilaterally good or bad, that they're all just people who are surviving and, and doing what they have to do. And however that lands for you, the viewer, is up to you. Um, but it doesn't really try to put anyone in a role of this is the bad guy. Um, and oftentimes it might make you think that the main character is that character. I think that has a lot to do with the way that we're trained to consume media and that most of the time you're presented with a character who's clearly good and another who's clearly bad. Um, and now, especially in the last 20 years, we're seeing that kind of dissipate. But um, I don't think that there's any responsibility on the creator whatsoever. I think that whatever someone wants to do, the story they want to tell is that. And intent is so nebulous because of the fact that it has to land on someone. And you can misinterpret what someone wants. Um, and there's no way to um, make something misinterpret proof. So you're always going to run into this problem. Um, it's impossible to avoid. You know, there are people who saw um, the Dark Knight and took that Joker as their gospel, right? There have always been people who took Rorschach or Punisher, no matter what the creator of that character says, that take those characters and go, oh, that's me. I am the Punisher. And there's nothing that you can do. You know, um, Alan Moore can't convince you that you're a piece of shit because Rorschach's a piece of shit. And so if you think that's you, then that's you. Uh, it doesn't matter what he says. People just, they just go with it. And we are so averse to taking, to taking responsibility for how we feel about things that we just want to put that on the creator, the actor, the writer, whoever. And it's like, no, why do you feel this way? That's the problem. The problem is how people feel, not what the creator did. I. I, I agree with you in principle, but I don't, I don't think that that is unilaterally true. I think that like what you're saying about people uh, projecting their own feelings or bringing their own meaning to things, that's true. But I think that like there's an argument to be made, I think, for inelegant writing leading to that. Um, when? I, I mean, like, you mean, should I give an example? Yeah. Because I, 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 I'll take it back to 
um, to Rick and Morty because I think that like that's a show you look at the first two seasons um, versus you know and the first two seasons were when it was like smaller right it was around the second season I think was when it blew up and um, the third season which was kind of like the first one that was written post the explosion in popularity and kind of the memification of of its fan base um, that it I think it tried to more directly deal with and grapple with how it was presenting Rick as a character and like what people were supposed to take away from him as a character. Um, and, and again, I, I wouldn't say that there's like responsibility in terms of like, uh, you owe this to the world or your viewer or whatever. But I think it's more like if you're writing something and you realize that a percentage of people, like a, a non-insignificant percentage of people, are are reading something in it that you didn't intend and that you don't want to say, then that's something that you, as like a creator, have to grapple with in terms of like what it is. What is it about, you know, the way I'm writing this character or not writing this character um, that is is making it so that my viewpoint of them is so different from the audience. And, like, not a contingency of the audience, but, like, a vast majority. Uh, Could it be just that that audience is shitheads and that's it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then why why does it matter what the creator does? I mean, I guess it's just, like, a matter of, like, you want to... Or at least I I think, right? Like, you'd want to try to course correct because, like, you're not getting... You're not getting what you're trying to get across across. Yeah, it, it depends on your opinion on the um, accountability of a creator to account for shitheads. But but then I feel like that's an expectation that there's some sort of universality to what you're going to put out that has that there's an expectation that whatever you're putting out has to be uh, understood a certain way. So like if if there are those shitheads or the people who you can plainly tell them go left and they go. Now nah, I'm gonna go right. Like, yeah. How I don't believe that. At least for me, right? I, I don't believe that there's any burden on the creator at that point or even before that to tell or uh, to to adjust what they're outputting in order to correct for that. It I certainly it's fair on them. It certainly feels like it's down to a binary at this point, where a nuance wouldn't be a binary, you know? Yeah, bro. I can I can block uh, keywords on Twitter. I don't need to see that shit, so I don't need to have an opinion on it. Mm. I think a great example is Tony Soprano. Uh, so the creator of the Sopranos, David Chase, never intended Tony to be a fan favorite. Like the character is fun at times, but he's mostly really shit. And the show's not about trying to make you like him. But what happened was, and this was unprecedented at the time in storytelling, was that people really, really liked him and sympathized him and enjoyed seeing him do horrible things. And it made David Chase kind of um, dislike his audience because he was like, wait, why do you why do you guys like this? This is not you're not supposed to like that. So um, then the audience wanted to see Tony die because they felt bloodthirsty and they thought that would be an appropriate way to end the show. And David Chase said, I'm not giving you what you want in any way. I'm not going to let you see Tony go out like uh, Scarface, but I'm also not going to let you see him die. That's why the show ends blacked out. Um, 
that audience for nine years or or whatever it was got the wrong message from the show despite the fact that tony was portrayed plainly as a piece of shit you would not like to know racist sexist misogynist murderer you know everything bad and people still like them so what could david chase have done well, well, so I guess give him a prequel because that's what he's, he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I, to me, I think that's that's an example of what I'm talking about, though, right? Like, I, I, I we're using like the words responsibility and stuff, and I think that like puts a um a moralistic energy onto it that I'm not trying to ascribe. Where like he reacted to his audience not getting the message he wanted to out of his art by uh, responding to that in the way that the story developed, right? And like what, what one singular moment, just the very end. That's right. It. Right. And and like to me, like that's cool. Like, I think that speaks to what I'm talking about, where like I think that is the the responsibility you have as a, as a creator. There is again, it, it's like you are like he as a creator is trying to say one thing and other people are, are taking it the wrong way. Right. And like that's always going to happen. Um, but his response to that was. Well, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction that you want because this is what I have to say about my character. Well, don't you think that might negatively influence the art? Art inherently exactly. is supposed to be meant to um, be subjective to the reader, the viewer, the you know whatever, Wh- whoever art is in the eye of the beholder. I don't. Whatever. I don't agree that it's inherently supposed to be that. I think you could argue that art exists to communicate a message. Go on. Right. I mean, like, why you know why does someone write a love song? You know, it's to it's to express a genuine feeling. Why does someone write a political cartoon? It's to provide comment, social commentary, right? Like there are pieces of art that do have a specific intent. I think there is art that's meant to be interpreted. Um, and I think all art can be interpreted, right? That's what we do every week here. Um, but I also don't think it's fair to say that um, art is always made uh, with the expectation that you as the viewer are supposed to take whatever you want to take from it. Um, because there's plenty of art that's made expressly to say something or make you feel a certain way or change your mind about something or whatever. That's true, but I think all art will be interpreted. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, I'm not arguing that fact. It's just a matter of like, what do you, the creator, do to that, right? When you're, you think you're having one conversation with your audience and you're having another one. I, I th- so go ahead, Marco. Sorry. Um, I think my my only hesitation with like I, I think your point on uh, is salient as it relates to um, being able to being able to course correct for something and being able to ensure that you're communicating a certain message. I think my issue is just there being that responsibility. I don't think it is necessary for a creator to be able to to need to do that regardless of how their art is being interpreted because mm-hmm. if at the same way there's an it's an expression of a feeling and emotion right then that can be expressed in the way that they want to as a creator and can be satisfied in that expression mm-hmm. outside of the way that a person is interpreting that i think that's easier to to make that point too when you're talking about a singular piece of work right like if you write a song or or make a movie and you put it out and people react to it and then that's that um, that that's a little bit different when you do have something that's ongoing because then it's it's a living, breathing document, and like you will be influenced by how people react to it, or people picked up on this or didn't 
connect with this the way I thought they would or whatever, and the, the story evolves, right? Um, so that's, like, another kind of wrinkle in that as well, is that, like, pieces of art that are serialized are more of a conversation with a viewer base or, or a listenership or what have you. So, Tyler, do you have a do you have anything you wanted to add before I kind of? I mean, I, I think I said what I said earlier. Like it's just sympathetic characters. Like there needs to be some kind of more critical thinking when it comes to these things. Like you could have Captain America: The First Avenger, where like there aren't sympathetic villains. You know, it's it is black and white. You know, that's how World War II is viewed in general, you know? <laughs> Not to everyone. But, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but it, it was considered a more black and white time, you know? Right. Where you don't want a sympathetic, you know, Red Skull Nazi character, you know? But I think when you when you turn... <laughs> I'm just picturing that. Ach, mine the wife! <laughs> I want to know how he got that Red Skull. Like, uh, I need some more details on that. I want no, to know his, I'm a Nazi. His his dad beat him, and that's why you know he became yeah. that way. Which I think is how the comic uh, portrays it. Um, but yeah, I just uh, like there are situations where I don't think there is nuance needed, like like a Captain America where things are you know black and white, or or Star Wars. You know, I don't think you really need too much nuance there. Mm-hmm. But if we're trying to tell a compelling you know s- story and plot, a character driven thing, we do want some nuance and some bits of sympathy for your villains in it you know yeah i mean marco is a villain on this very podcast and what does anyone find him sympathetic no but he's still Mm. good on it so one of the things that i saw as it relates to the john walker conversation in particular um and not just him but kind of the flag smashers was um a people don't like the idea that the show is presenting a character like John Walker, who's very, you know, Ameri- pro-American military, like dingoistic. Sure, yeah. Um, dingoistic. Yeah. Dingoistic. Yeah, he eats babies. <laughs> Indingistic is what he said. Oh. People don't want. People think that that kind of portrayal should not be shown because of how it can radicalize people. And how it can also make people feel bad. Um, on the other side of that, people say that we shouldn't see things like the Flag Smashers because it's like another villain that you're meant to ultimately agree with their perspective, um, even the, though they do horrific things. The show isn't telling you to agree with anyone. Exactly. You, Thank you're, you. you are doing that. Yeah. Yep. You know, I can view John Walker and realize he's a piece of shit, you know, that probably committed war crimes while he was, you know, uh, doing his you know black ops stuff well they say as much yeah but i can also see like he's a guy whose country has now abandoned him you know like i don't agree with it but i can see where he's coming from and you can like uh, empathize with the idea that someone in his position with no superpowers has an uh, impossible legacy to live up to and you you bring up empathize the idea of uh, sympathy versus empathy does not really exist yeah, and I don't I don't think different. I really don't think that people um I think you're totally right. I don't think that people draw that line. I feel like people think that those things are syn- synonymous and they're not, yeah, right? They're like not, yeah. 
uh, having empathy for someone's position means that you can recognize their humanity. You can recognize the humanity of a bad person, of a, of an inhuman person, because people are are complex, and we all have good and evil within within us at at you know var- to varying degrees, right? Um, having sympathy for a character like that is, I think, a much different thing, and th- and that's where you get into that kind of like the example that Marker brought up at the beginning, right? There's a difference between me being like. I love John Walker as a character because he's dynamic and interesting. And I love John Walker as a character because I identify with him. That's a way yeah. different thing. <laughs> yeah. I think it is important to have empathetic characters. I think if it's a sympathetic character, it's because you've made it a sympathetic character. I think the text may- brings empathy to it. It brings layers. But if it's a sympathetic character, it's because you've made it a sympathetic character. I think even I think there's even a deeper layer because I felt sympathetic for the Joker in his movie, but that doesn't society. Mean, <laughs> and 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 I'll even go a step further than that. You can identify with certain aspects yeah. of what he deals with or why he thinks the way he thinks. Where we cross the line is when we say, "I see myself." holy in this i see myself in the punisher like you okay so you see yourself in a guy who just just blasts people it's a like, fucking mass murderer <laughs> um like there that that's the deeper level like i don't see myself in the joke i don't see myself in the joke i don't see myself as a as a sick murderer but i get it and I feel bad for him up until the point that he does the bad thing. But he crosses the line, I fall back. It's funny. That's the normal reaction. This is kind of a a side thing, but like I went to a house party in Germany once in high school and I was wearing a Punisher t-shirt and I guess there was a language barrier there. So like people kept calling me the Punisher and like I I reflect on that and like that, I don't feel comfortable being. (laughs) (laughs) Can we call you that now? That's your I'd rather not. I'd rather not. Uh, Tyler just, the Punisher. Also. I don't want to uh, sympathize with the Punisher. I'm sure there's like there's like these German kids like now that like f- have been, remained friends for years. They're like, yo, you hey, remember the Punisher? You like, remember Punisher? Remember that American yeah, guy? guy? <laughs> Let me ask you this though, Tyler. Um, do you sympathize with the Punisher? No, but I can see where he comes from. So you don't like have sympathy for the character? No, I have empathy for the character. Hmm. The guys, the guy's family was killed. I'm sure, like there is a animal instinct to get revenge. I wouldn't do the same if I were in the shoes, but I can see it, you know. Yeah, but 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 I'll say I could see how someone who is a veteran, uh, who had a family, could maybe sympathize with him and be like, sure. if I was in that situation, I'd probably become Frank Castle, right? Like, I think that's the the mm. difference, I guess. I would still think that there's something wrong with that person. I would, but I could could understand that a little bit more because it's like it's closer to your worldview, you know, like so the whole point of Frank Castle is that he has PTSD. There is something wrong with him. Yeah. Yeah. You are a person that serves some tour overseas like that and you find him empathetic in Tyler's words. Perhaps you yourself are struggling with sympathetic. But then I see that the 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 Punisher sticker on an NYPD cop car. Like and then I'm like, oh boy. Yep. <laughs> that to me that's different though. 
Yeah. To to me, well, that's... there's symbolism there. Then instead of instead of it being a character, there's more symbolism right. involved. Yeah. Now, I, normally I wouldn't do this. This feels like a, di- a douchebag move, but I'm going to actually read the definition of the word sympathy, okay. and then I'm going to ask you the same question again. Okay. You do empathy as well. Sure, because I got. I I, I'm I'm wondering if we're hitting those backwards. I, I, Maybe I got so. You. So uh, sympathy is defined as feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune Mm -hmm. and understanding between people, a common feeling. So in the first definition, you mean to tell me you do not have sympathy for the punisher. I don't think I do. I would say pity. Sure. Pity. And Uh, yeah, you feel bad for, for his experience, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't understand how that's a problem. So let's read the empathy definition then, because that, that I think Kale might be right that we might have just... Yeah, I think empathy actually means more like personally relating to an experience. It does. Yes. Well, I guess it does, yeah. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. There we go. So yeah, we were just speaking in the <laughs> inverse. Um, yeah, the, what I have here is it says it comes from the German Einverlung. Einfühlung. Oh yeah, uh-huh. falling into. That was also required. called that when I went to that house party. <laughs> it requires an emotional component of really feeling what the other person is feeling. Okay, right. Yeah. So that's that's I guess the the line we're trying to draw sure. here, right? Yeah. It's like um, you can feel sympathy for a character that like uh, you don't have anything in common with right and just like uh, just right recognizing their plight as a person right and it's like oh i can imagine how hard that would be to go through and the pain that they're going through right and like there's nothing wrong with feeling that for a character who's a bad person i mean that just makes you human right like um i i guess it is more the like when you feel that personal connection where you're like uh you're like Sean. You you brought up the Joker example, and I'm reminded of like that time and place uh, in our society where I remember like lots of like uh, weird white couples who would be like, "Oh yeah, like we're such a Joker and Harley," and I'm like, "That's awful." Like I hope I hope not. <laughs> Do I need to call the cops? Like, <laughs> I feel like that's still a thing, unfortunately. Oh yeah, I'm sure but like it will always be. It was such a th- it was like such a thing in the early 2000s. You know what I mean? I feel like now. You see that, and and there's a big like we all were like, oof. Shoot, I think it was a thing heavy during Suicide Squad. Sure, yeah, yeah. When that was when that was popping. Absolutely. Um, so okay, so I guess I guess for me, when it comes to the empathy part, that is not a thing that a creator can make you feel, because if empathy implies a common experience or a common feeling that's not something that you can you can write towards unless you're writing something extremely specific like if you're writing a story about the plight of the black man in america you can write for empathy i can't because they're sorry i can't write that (laughs) (laughs) but you can empathize with that sure exactly um you can write for empathy in that case because you can write towards the lived experience of black men but you can't write towards the lived experience of homicidal maniacs like you can you can i guess but that's not going to be a thing that you're not going to like homicidal maniacs will connect with it that's not enough of an audience for your shit to work so you you write it 
And yeah, there are humans who will empathize with that, but you can't control that. And so I think that that's where the line on the creator end is severed. You cannot choose that. I'm you can choose the, sympathy. I'm imagining the corporate uh, meeting where they're like, yeah, we got to hit that homicidal maniac demo. <laughs> like, it's a niche demo, but it's important, you know? Does anyone have a response to that? I think um, you're right that you can't write empathy, but I think you can write a character in a way where they're being uh, glorified, where like you're asking them yeah. to, to root for them. And like, that's the thing I, I bring up where like, I don't like the, the Watchmen movie because even though it's like a film, uh, a, almost like a shot for shot adaptation in parts, I feel like it very much feels like it tries to make Rorschach the central character who is like, this you know um crusader for truth and honesty and all the like it i think it moralizes him in a way it's it shouldn't zach snyder definitely empathized with rorschach yeah i think so yeah uh, this guy has randy in politics like it's this is right rorschach's right down his alley so the glorification comes from the creator empathizing with him and that's that's where i do think it comes into like a broader conversation i guess yeah I really struggle even with the glorification uh, aspect because I think that if you, I guess you're talking about the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I I genuinely don't really see a difference between the two. I think that a person who is inclined to watch that and say, "Yes, this is the this is great. I love this character," and empathize with them is going to do that regardless because that character has elements of them that that person likes. Like no matter. How you show the Joker, a character who's existed now for what, like almost 100 years or something, um, there have always been people who have empathized and loved that character. And I don't think that he's always or even often portrayed in a way that can be glorified. And if you think that the comic book version of Rorschach is not presented in a glorified fashion, well, then even then you still have the problem of, hundreds of thousands of people if not more who identify with that character and alan moore is telling them they're crazy and they still do it it sounds like to you sean the root of the problem kind of comes from like a societal educational perspective where like we're not as a culture doing a good enough job of like weeding out like the real negative things in human history uh, which might be true. I don't know how great of a job curriculums do in uh, explaining how bad slavery was or how bad like Nazis were or, or are in this case. Um, and is it does that responsibility come down to creators of, of pop culture media? Not, uh, it doesn't sound like that's how you feel in your case. I'll answer, but Kale was going to jump in. Well, I to 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 take phil's point one uh one step further i think there's a lack of teaching critical thinking yes yes wow um you know yes. like uh i remember there's i think it's i think it's ee e. cummings has a poem uh called the wheelbarrow where it's literally about a wheelbarrow he saw out in his yard or something and uh i don't know none of you guys went to school for english like i did uh but uh it kind of did it's ruined my life uh but the thing is you know english teachers will ask you okay well what's this about and it's not 
that they're asking you, what did E.E. E. Cummings have in mind? Yeah. It's what are you thinking? What, what does this evoke to you? They, they what do you rationalize? It, and, they call that the Socratic method. And I think there's there's an element in, in education that's been lost because you have to justify why you are tr- are teaching that and you're asking the question, but no one stops and says to teach you how to feel and how to think for yourself. I, and why, why teach that when you can just teach because there's a test coming up and you have to make sure they can do that test correctly. Exactly. I mean, that's Absolutely. just, a, that's just the American public school system. I went to Catholic school, so I learned about turning uh, water into wine instead. Nice. Um, <laughs> way um, more valuable has that, has that, worked, great, out? Has that worked out for you did you turn that coke into the, the prophet elijah story in the bible fantastic stuff classic classic, classic stuff. you want to see kids get mauled by uh menstrual bears tremendous, the bible tremendous the bible. work um, <laughs> and even even then you know to to kind of put a cap on this at least from my perspective and to answer phil's question you know tyler brings up the bible most misinterpreted thing yeah. ever, right? Sure. And yep. that's for all time. That's not now. That's not 20 years ago. That's for all time. Yeah. And what that tells me is that no matter what age we live in, no matter what the society is, there will always be people who don't get it or who get it wrong. And that that's a failing of humanity. God if, shouldn't have made that sympathetic Judas character. <laughs> like that was, <laughs> Legit. It, it was irresponsible. Legit, they call what Kale was describing the Socratic method. Socrates was put to death because all he ever did was question shit. And everyone's like, this guy's fucking annoying. I mean, that would be a little annoying, <laughs> I think. That's legit what happened I mean, to Socrates. We'd all be dead. Um, but that's that's kind of where I come in. And and that's that's my point, is that at the end of the day, this has always been a problem. And it will always be a problem. And we should not sanitize or work around the, the the fact that there are people on this earth who are either stupid or bad or have bad intentions or can be radicalized towards uh, evil or violence. I think that you have to let that be what it is. And we have systems to deal with those people. And that's just the way life works. I don't think that there's any amount of censorship or you know, carefulness on the part of a creator or or anything like that that will ever prevent that type of uh of, of radicalization or misinterpretation because it's inherent in humans to do that. I will say you should sanitize that COVID still a thing. So be, <laughs> be safe guys. Yeah, I think I think the the last point I'll I'll put on it is that um I think that it's true that you can't you can't account for assholes and that at the end of the day like that is always an x factor that you're going to have to deal with um but i do think that um i do think that it is something that the writer should think about is how is how is my work going to be interpreted and not necessarily um for the point of like sanitizing or or censorship or anything like that but more that like i think that if, if you're trying to say something with your work, you should be careful about how you say it. Because if the point of your work is to express an idea or, or to convey um, something to other people, um, that is 
that is a challenge that you're going to have to overcome. And it is a challenge that I think is exacerbated by our world and our current culture and the way that we talk about things um, and not just art. Uh, it, it's just it, we live in a pretty combative society. Um, so I think that, uh, again, not from a moralistic place, just more of a it's a concern to think about in the modern era in terms of when you're crafting the next great American novel. You know, keep that in mind. Yeah, that's even just, the best writers in the world have failed that test. Yeah, that's absolutely. And when I say fail, I mean like Alan Moore, you know, one of the greatest comic book writers of all time, couldn't get people to not like Rorschach over 12 issues. <laughs> I mean, I, I think like to to your last point, Pete, I, I don't I don't know. I, I think that people can be aware of the situation that they're in. But I don't think that somebody has to react or change a piece of art based off of somebody's capacity to be offended one way or the other. Um, I feel like I've, I, I've 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 made a case of for that previously, where I just because somebody is going to feel a certain way about somebody, I think to your point, uh, if you want to communicate a message effectively, you should be careful about the way that you put it out. But I don't think it's a barrier to putting it out. You're saying like be aware, but tell your story. Yeah, yeah. Parker is one yeah. of those people that's like, "Are you offended, Snowflake?" <laughs> well, again, like I, I, I want to live hard. I need to clarify because again, like I'm not talking about offense. I'm not talking about like being offended, right? Like it's it's more than that. Yeah, I got you, buddy. It's like, hey, you're making a Joker movie after a guy dressed up as a Joker and shot up a movie theater. Like, be a little careful. Like that's that's sure, how I viewed that when yeah, I came in. yeah yeah I think that's a I think I do think that's a, a salient point. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let us know what you think about this. I think this is a conversation that's worth having um, across the board. It's not just comics. It's not just superhero stuff. It's it's across the board. As we, um, I think you know, people in general who went to college or whatever. Um, a lot of times there's a desire to like overly overly analyze things and not just take them for what they are and that leads to some of these conversations as well um obviously john walker is not meant to be a character that you um you know empathize with necessarily um and whether you write him that way or not people are going to do it so just have a little fun, you know, watch, watch stuff, listen don't, to stuff. Don't fun. overanalyze coming from the six guys on a two hour podcast. Um, <laughs> Especially when our entire point here was that people don't analyze art enough. <laughs> um, no, that wasn't, that wasn't my point. Um, nice. My point was that there are just bad people in the world and we can't course correct for that. Um, but in any event, uh, let us know what you think about this conversation. Uh, is there a lack of nuance in the way that we talk about this stuff and uh is it okay to sympathize with a villain thank you so much to tyler for joining us tyler do you want to do you want to plug anything man yeah <laughs> i got you can do, uh, i can i can plug my uh, my twitter is at the tyler olson where i am uh, uh sporadically active okay yeah, I, 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 I work in bursts go go check right. out his twitter apparently he's uh sympathetic to the punisher Hey, hey, he is the Punisher. It was a it was a neon blue Punisher shirt I got from Hot Topic. Um, 
that was a weird night, man. Tyler's was, like the in German the middle. Punisher. Yeah, some guy was like rubbing my thigh, and I thought that was just like a German thing. Uh, and then like the guy was just like, no, nah. he's like, no, that guy wants to fuck you. I'm like, oh boy, all right, not not. I mean, that is a German thing. Is, is your gun okay. cocked loaded? That was a weird night. I was in a, I was I did like a a homestay with a German family. The guy's name was Simon, which in Germany I think it's pronounced Simon. Oh. <laughs> so. Should have been a red flag, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we've got lots of content out there. If you want more from us, you can listen to our We Watch series. We've got We Watched uh, Falcon Winter Soldier and, of course, We Watch Invincible. So check both of those out. Um, obviously, Falcon Winter Soldier will be ending next week. So that will be the last episode of that. Uh, we've got tons of great book clubs out there. Take the Comics Pals Challenge. Look at our list of book clubs and tell us that there, you don't see anything on there that you enjoy. If that's the case, write in. Let us know. Give us a recommendation. We promise you we will get to that book club with expediency. Where's the Onslaught book club? Oof. Oh, well, just you wait, Tyler. Just <laughs> you wait. That's not going to be happening. Uh, Marco would have to beat me in a best of seven in Smash Brothers for that to happen. <laughs> Again? What? Are you out of your mind? You a Steve main now? No, I, I remain bloody true to Pac-Man. Sean, next time you punish Marco, make him watch the entirety of The Big Bang Theory. Oh, oh I love that show. Rough. Oh, you oh, well, there it is. I mean, there's some decent <laughs> DC references in it, but uh, it's, it's... So, uh... Other than that, write into us at thecomicspiles at gmail.com. Make sure that you guys are following us, leaving us a rating, wherever it is that you listen to us. If that happens to be YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like the video, share it with your friends. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Last but not least, you can hang out with us on our Discord server. You can hit us up with questions, as Matt did, or you can just shoot the breeze with us about a variety of different topics, including the shows that I just mentioned, Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Invincible. And if you're a weeb, there's a channel for you, and you can just live there. There are people who only comment there. I don't even see them talk about other things. And The Wire. I want to see who else is into The Wire. Please write it yeah, if you're into see. The Wire. Yes, absolutely. Maybe we can do some Wire-related content. Any, any Stringer Bell fans out there? I'm telling you, the Big idea time. of just specifically a Wire show hosted by you, but we just get comic book creators to come on and talk about the Wire, I feel like that's a that's a million-dollar idea. That would work, that honestly. When I have clout enough, I'll do it. <laughs> I, might, I might have a connection to the writer. David Simon? Yeah, my dad. It's a thing. I'll, I'll talk to My you dad it. worked at The Wire, okay, guys? <laughs> well, we got to end the show so I can hear yeah. that. Yeah, that's um, not what he was going to say. He was going to say, my dad is The Wire. Uh, <laughs> uh, plugs, Pete. Thanks for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. If you guys want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out the Potscast, which I host on Mondays, loopots.com, uh, or streams twitch.tv slash loopots on Thursday nights. You can check out my band, Long Friend, Time Friend, wherever you get your music. Our debut album, If Me Dies, Me Dies, uh, came out late February. We're coming up on the two-month anniversary here. Uh, so go check it out. Good stuff. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Uh Tyler already went. So, Kale. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Uh, the new Ultraman was just uh, announced and uh, underwhelming. Uh, I, it's an anniversary one that doesn't seem like it's going to be very good. I'm going to watch it, but 
you can find my work at killward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Marco. You can follow me at Mr. Marco Enomoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come talk to me about Puerto Rican self-determination uh, that's been going on in the news recently. And also talk to me about Young Sheldon and how Steve <laughs> Burns is the composer for that theme song. Oh, my God. You're a psycho. <laughs> Marco chose <laughs> violence today. Isn't that yeah. Blink-182 or some shit? Steve Burns is the guy from uh, Blue's Blues. Oh, what? That's cool. I can't get over the fact that Kale just thought Steve from Blue's Clues was in Blink-182. I got to get off this fucking <laughs> Tom podcast. Tom Morello is from Blue's Clues. <laughs> Tom Morello is from Rage Against the Machine, not oh, Blink-182. Jesus Christ. Tom DeLonge, shit. I anyway. Hate this. Um, oh, the, the NASA guy. Yes. So uh, hit up uh, Akira Yoshida on Twitter, schedule a meeting between him and me so that I can pitch <laughs> the Badger. Uh, with that said, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cyber Bebop, and uh, that's all I got. <laughs> As for me, I'm in the middle of a wire rewatch right now. I'm on season three and loving life. So you can hit me up to talk about that or anything else on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. You, so most of the time you beat Nazis to a red pulp you think Johann Schmidt got beat to a red skull Oof. guys the rewire oh, boy. oh.